drink of water before the shot. Hydrate before I dehydrate. Books, booze, and B-movies with your favorite tipsy cuties. Hello, everyone. All you wonderful pod people. Welcome to Real Lit, the podcast where a neurotic English instructor and a movie-adoring magic baby wrangler that's me uh, decides to talk to you about (laughs) some classic pieces of literature and some trashy or not as critically acclaimed cinema pieces in the universe while we become inebriated through different kinds of alcohol uh we have a theme today it's a collaboration episode typically we've got a random classic lit choice and a random movie choice of uh both of our tastes but today we are covering in total in some the wonderful wizard of oz yeah and it's gonna be a fun ride i hope everyone enjoys it i know i really enjoyed compiling my notes and i know katie really enjoyed watching a gajillion wizard of oz movies (laughs) so rather than our normal uh sam goes and talks about a book and then i go and talk about a movie uh, because we are doing the wizard of oz and it is such an appreciated classic across all mediums sam is going to paint us a picture through the book and i will be weaving in and out of her story with fun facts about the movies and how the different movies did the different scenes in the book and how they translated onto film. So the movies that I will be talking about and discussing throughout today's episode will be The Wizard of Oz from 1939 starring Judy Garland, The Wiz from 1978 starring Uh, Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. There might be a little bit of different stuff thrown in, just random tidbits from the musical Wicked by Stephen Sondheim and the movie uh, The Return to Oz starring uh, Feruza Balk from Disney in the, I think it was 1989. So a bunch of that stuff is going to be weaved in to Sam's overall story. So you guys get a giant picture of the world of Oz. Isn't it grand? Uh, you know we can't uh, avoid talking about a Sondheim musical if it's at all related to our subject matter. Yes. I almost started singing <laughs> One Short Day because that's oh, listen. Just, why not? <laughs> what? That's absolutely the exact question that I always ask myself. Whenever a Sondheim song comes into my head at any given point for any reason, And I'm like, should I sing this? Absolutely is the answer. Why not? Yeah, the answer is (laughs) yes. Okay. Enjoy this fun collaborative jaunt into the world of Oz. The book is titled The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. It is an American children's novel. It is written by L. Frank Baum. That's L, like the capital letter L, period, Frank Baum bomb and it is illustrated by w w denslow 
This book was originally published by the George M. Hill Company in May 1900. It's a long time ago. It has since uh, absolutely, of course, seen several reprints. It is most often uh, reprinted under the title of The Wizard of Oz, which was the title, of course, of the popular uh, Broadway musical adaptation from 1902 and, of course, the um, live-action film, the 1939. Here is the plot of the book. Our story follows, of course, this young girl named Dorothy. She is a young girl who lives with her aunt named Aunt M, her uncle, Uncle Henry, and her dog, Toto. They live on a farm in the Kansas prairie. And one day, our story begins, Dorothy and Toto are caught up in a cyclone, a twister, uh, right? If you've ever seen that movie, uh, Cyclones and Twisters have been consistently BTW, one of my hugest phobias for my entire life. Really, any sort of huge natural disaster is covered by that phobia. But in particular, tornadoes slash twisters slash cyclones are a huge one. I've had many a nightmare about it, and I absolutely think it is probably at least a little percentage wise to do with this story i'm gonna movie. say it's 50 percent based on the wizard of oz and how many times we watched it as children mm-hmm. and then 50 percent based on the movie twister that came out when we were children and was yes. a huge blockbuster hit and yeah terrifying <laughs> yeah it was quite terrifying and that coupled with this Uh, in the movie at least I think kind of solidified my eternal fear of just like mother nature in general and how natural disasters are random and insane and can fuck everyone's shit up at any given moment without any notice and that's just terrifying you're welcome uh if you didn't have that phobia you probably do now (laughs) so (laughs) Dorothy and Toto, unfortunately, are caught up in a huge cyclone that has decided to suddenly descend upon their farm in this Kansas prairie that they live in. They are in the actual house, unfortunately, when this hits. Uncle Henry and Aunt Em are able to climb under the house through their trap door, basically, uh, into like their basement slash cellar slash like cyclone bunker basically this is not a weird thing to happen in Kansas at this point to be perfectly honest they're much more prevalent in like the midwest and in middle America than they are in other areas of America so it's a lot more common to see those kinds of um like shelter built into homesteads because they would happen and you would need to be able to get as much of your supplies and your people obviously as you could under the ground in a safe area so that the cyclone didn't ruin a bunch of your kind of essential things that you need to do your work like on your farm and things like that so aunt m and uncle henry are able to get down in their little like bunker essentially but dorothy and toto 
are not able to do that before the cyclone descends fully upon their homestead and it rips the house up just up into the air in the middle of the cyclone and they are (laughs) carried away and they're just up in the air in the cyclone for a while and Dorothy and Toto her dog are just kind of like well this fucking sucks but there's nothing really for them to do because they're up in the air so they're essentially even keeled they're just floating in the cyclone so after a while she just kind of like goes to sleep because <laughs> she gets tired and then when she wakes up the cyclone has finally put her down <laughs> their entire house down and she and Toto open the front door of their house and see that the twister has carried them somewhere that is absolutely not Kansas. Any person who uh, knows the movie probably knows the iconic line here that I'll let Katie supply since movies is her things. Which line? Oh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Yep. Yep. Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? And they are not. They are very clearly in a very different place. In the movie, this is done incredibly well. All the scenes that take place in Kansas are done in sepia, black and white. And Mm -hmm. this was very common for the time. It was 1939 when this movie came out. So it was not uncommon for movies to be in black and white. So audiences were like, oh yeah, this is the story of The Wizard of Oz. Like, I'm really excited. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So then they land in Oz after this twister has picked them up. And when they get out of the house, when she opens the door to the house, everything is in bright, beautiful color in the movie, which astounded audiences. This was one of the first, not actually the first, but one of the first movies to utilize color at all as a filming technique. And the way that this film was done, many films prior who had used color had used it in a boring way, I would say. Everything is just Mm. like normal colors. Everything's, you know, like dark blues and dark reds. You know, think think of Gone with the Wind. Like it's not a lot of flashy color just jumping out at you it's easy stuff for them at the time to be able to cover in the terms of their color technology yes but because oz is meant to be this fantastical world the first scene where she opens the door basically everyone who has seen this movie especially who saw this movie originally in 1939 everyone's jaws just drop to the floor because Mm -hmm the entire coloring of Oz is vibrant and beautiful. Like it's gorgeous. If you've never seen the wizard of Oz, like how, but if you've never seen it, (laughs) think about like the first time you saw Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory when, you know, it's, it's like dark and gloomy and Charlie's life clearly sucks. Like his house sucks. And London sucks because it's all just like foggy and gloomy. Mm-hmm. And then they get they to- They walk into that they, first they, room. Yeah, they walk into the the chocolate room, the candy room, and all of the trees are made of sweets and the floor, the dirt is 
sweets. It really there's is There's a like chocolate that. river and everything is just vibrant and beautiful. That's what Oz is when Dorothy opens the door yeah. in the movie. And it just shook everybody because they had never seen something so fantastical. All Everything similar to this prior to this had been cartoons so at the time of this movie's release the only other movie that had had anything big and fantastical and bright like this was snow white and the seven doors there were there were obviously there were obviously real um live action things but they were all in black and white or yes 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 Yes. in color was snow white and the seven dwarfs which had come out two years prior to this and the goal when they made this movie was to really make something that was so beautiful and vibrant just like snow white and the seven dwarfs like disney had done with snow white and the seven dwarfs it was like mgm's retaliation to Snow White and the Seven Doors. They were looking for <laughs> kind something. Kind of, yeah, for sure. They were looking for something that was going to be as big and beautiful and as well-loved right. and as big of a we success. We can drop your basically. jaws over here too. Exactly. Yes, and that's Look exactly what, what happens in this scene. And watching it now, let me tell you, I have I grew up watching this film. I've watched it as a kid. I watched this like Good infinitely, a million times. Um, but I haven't watched it in 20 some odd years like it's been a long time because yeah for sure you know you hit a point and you're like why am I watching this I've seen it a hundred times right but watching it this week my jaw was on the floor when they opened the door and it's more at this point it's not because I'm shocked at the color like color doesn't shock me that's not a big deal it's the change and the fact that you remember that this is from 1939 yes now that I have such a bigger view of old movies like I've seen a lot of old movies I've seen you know the first a bunch of the first movies the talkies the the silent films I've seen all of those and to think about the fact that this movie was made in the middle of World War II like America hadn't hadn't entered yet but World War II had already started Oh yeah. In Europe, like it's mind-boggling. Like the technology for sure and how they did it is just incredible. So definitely like you will love it when you get to this scene. Like your jaw's gonna be on the floor too. <laughs> it's a great point to be made there, and it actually ties in later with something that we'll get into when we talk um a little bit about L. Frank Baum in general and his like his like reasons for writing the story, etc. But what they wanted was to kind of reflect what L. Frank Baum's uh, clearly stated like desire was for why he started writing these stories in the first place was because he wanted to dazzle and enchant kids and give them something that was just magical and interesting and beautiful and you know have it capture them and so when they created this live action film they wanted to capture that same feel for everyone in the audience and so doing this was a way to get every single person you didn't even have to be a kid uh you know it was everyone you know child to adult alike who when she walks out that door and everything is bright technicolor everybody felt that magical feeling of oh shit they just like 
a spell was just cast. Like this is magic because that it was to them. It was something unseen, unheard of. They that they could only imagine in their brains at that point and had never been able to see in live action cinema up until that point, really. It's a beautiful like moment. And it's always dazzling when you watch it. It's always beautiful because Judy Garland is, of course, beautiful anyway, whether she's in sepia or her Technicolor. Yeah. But when she comes out of sepia tone and walks into Technicolor, you're like, oh, shit, Judy Garland, though. Yeah. (laughs) She's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, Back to the book. She has walked out with Toto. And we are absolutely not in Kansas anymore, Toto unfortunately immediately in the book when she walks out there are three little people and a little bit taller old woman immediately walks up to her this is three little munchkins and what we learn is the good witch of the north these people have walked up to her because they obviously just saw her falling house descend into (laughs) their land and are curious AF about who the hell is inside it and what the hell just happened. They inform Dorothy very quickly that when her house fell down um, out of the sky from this cyclone, her house has fallen onto and killed a witch the Wicked Witch of the East, which is, according to these people, the evil ruler of the Munchkins, or at least was before Dorothy's house (laughs) fell on her and killed her dead, right? They are like, you know, how did you get here? And she's like, "Uh, Twister brought me here. (laughs) They're just like, you've liberated us. You know, we cannot thank you enough for this. Like, you obviously don't understand. We don't know where the hell Kansas is or what the hell that even is. Um, but here where we live, we're the Munchkins. The Wicked Witch of the East was our evil ruler. She was an awful bitch. And you just murdered her for us. And now we're free. Like, holy shit. We love you. Thank you so much. Uh, and the Good Witch of the North gifts Dorothy uh, something in order to thank her for this good deed, <laughs> even though Dorothy had like nothing to do with it. <laughs> uh, the Good Witch of the North is like, for your amazing feat of killing the Wicked Witch of the East, I'm going to give you this gift. She gives Dorothy these magical silver shoes. These magical silver shoes once belonged to the Wicked Witch of the East that the house just killed right so the good witch of the north says basically take her shoes as payment for the amazing feat that you just did for the munchkin people and dorothy has zero idea why this is significant or you know what she even did she knows that she you know can't control the weather so it was not her fault or anything but she's just like okay i mean if you insist thank you uh (laughs) uh and accepts this gift she doesn't put them on but she accepts them the good witch of the north tells dorothy that 
The only way she can return home, because of course, now that Dorothy is not in a twister anymore, she's like, okay, well, I don't know where we are right now, but I don't live here. I live in Kansas. I'd like to go back home to Kansas. (laughs) The Good Witch of the North tells her that, well, she doesn't really know, but the only way she thinks that she would be able to return home to her faraway land called Kansas is to follow what is called the Yellow Brick Road to the Emerald City. In the Emerald City, according to the Good Witch of the North, there lives the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And the Good Witch of the North says, this great and powerful Wizard of Oz would surely be able to help you if there is any way for you to be able to get back to your land (laughs) called Kansas, then the Wizard of Oz would definitely be the dude that would be able to do it for you. And Dorothy is like, okay, great. Thank you. I'll do that then. Uh, And the Good Witch is like, awesome. Okay, it's a long-ass journey, so you're going to need some assistance (laughs) while you leave. So here, the Good Witch of the North then leans forward and kisses Dorothy on her forehead. And this kiss is very significant because it leaves on Dorothy's forehead a magical, like, protective like tattoo basically um and even though dorothy has zero idea about this the narrator of the story says this kiss has now tattooed her basically with this magical protection charm essentially that is going to keep her or help her repel harm and danger on her journey and so dorothy is like Uh, thanks for the forehead kiss I guess cool um I'm gonna get some supplies now from the house and like the trees and stuff since you just said it's gonna be a really long journey so I'm gonna go do that thanks for stopping by and the good witch of the north and the munchkins are like yeah absolutely anytime thank you again for you know liberating our people and they leave (laughs) okay so the movies (laughs) the movies do this a little different um, I will say in the movie The Wiz, um, the entire opening sequence is a bit different. They changed, The Wiz is meant to be more modern. It takes place in New York City. Diana Ross is not a young prepubescent girl. She's 24. She's yes. a school teacher. She's worried about, you know, going out on her own because she's lived at home with her family for so long and she's just she's a very nervous woman basically she her dog Toto runs out of the apartment after this big family what is seemingly like Thanksgiving or Christmas get together some sort of get together yeah Toto runs away like runs out of the apartment outside and it's like a fucking blizzard happening outside and Dorothy freaks out and runs out after him catches him and is caught up in a wind like a snow flurry basically passes out very similar to the Dorothy in the story and in the other movie she kind of just falls asleep we see her fall asleep and then she wakes up in the land of Oz now in the whiz because she was not in a house at the time she just this flurry has carried her and the flurry that drops her in Oz also destroys part of the architecture of Oz and this big like cement block basically had fallen on the Wicked Witch of the East. 
Right, right, right. It's been, I watched The Wiz once, just FYI, for everyone listening. So, you need to watch I'm it again. Very it's fucking great. I'm very familiar with The Wizard of Oz with Judy Garland, but I'm very not familiar with The Wiz. Oh, you gotta watch I The Wiz. It, it so good. I have vague recollections of it, and that's it. And then I'm not quite familiar with the return of oz anymore i watched it a whole lot when i was a kid because i was obsessed with it because it's a great movie but i remember it a little less um i'm very familiar with wicked obviously and i'm very familiar with the judy garland one but yeah so you'll hear me being a little surprised even though i've technically watched the whiz (laughs) when she talks about the whiz i'll be like oh shit that's right so diana ross lands in Oz and she's just freaked the fuck out because you know she's not a young girl who's like I'm in a weird place this could be interesting and fun adventures like (laughs) no she's a grown-ass woman who's like where the fuck am I I just want to be home right like I'm terrified not where I fell asleep this ain't New York yeah no I'm I'm terrified so she wakes up in this like urban area it's covered in graffiti and the graffiti is all of like drawings like outlines of people like it's the whiz should have won every production design oscar and tony award that exists nice unfortunately they did not win any but they should have because racism dear god yes racism but (laughs) (laughs) holy fuck like it was it was so good it's so good so she lands and she's like what where the fuck am i and she's freaking out and this woman who is supposed is similar to nice witch of the north witch yeah the good witch uh she's actually called uh number one and she's like the witch of this land i think it's number one no it's something she has a miss one is her name so she's miss one and she's like she is a a witch she is she is a witch but she's not like a really strong witch and Mm -hmm. she even mentions like you need to go see the good witch like she's gonna help you you know um and she says you know my magic is very little very little i'm like a mage (laughs) and because this is a full-on musical this is not a so if the Wizard of Oz, the original Wizard of Oz from 1939, if you consider that a musical, consider that a musical like a Disney movie. Mm. There's like five songs in it. They're all sung by the main people. Like the wicked person doesn't really get a song. They are repetitive. Like they right. just add on characters. And at the halfway point of the movie, we're kind of done with the songs. Like that's it. And now it's just plot. Right. Like now, now just- it's a whole lot of action. Exactly. Now it's just action. Um, the Wiz is a true musical from start to finish. It actually started on Broadway and then became a movie musical yes. after its success on Broadway. That is something I do remember. Yeah. Yes. And it is filmed just like any other movie musical would be filmed with these huge elaborate dance sequences and songs and all this stuff there's a ton of songs and the music is fucking incredible it was this movie was produced like literally assisted in production by motown records like and it has diana ross and michael jackson in it like michael jackson plays the fucking scarecrow this movie is incredible but the first scene when she lands in oz 
you know, the construction falls on the Wicked Witch and the munchkins all come out of the graffiti like they were in the graffiti, stuck in the graffiti and they come out and there's this big dance sequence where they're just excited and happy that they've finally been freed. And Miss One explains like, you need to follow the yellow brick road. You need to find the yellow brick road and follow it. Go see the whiz. He's going to take care of you. He's he'll get you back home and all this stuff. And then she gives her the slippers that magically end up on her feet. Like just like, here's a present. And then they're on her feet. And they're Mm. the silver slippers that were the Wicked Witch of the East. Having said that, (laughs) Diana Ross gets the silver slippers. Judy Garland in the 1939 version does not get silver slippers. She receives ruby red sparkly slippers, which was a big drastic change from the book. Controversial at the time because so many people loved the book and were just like, these slippers aren't supposed to be red. Like they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be silver. What the fuck? Like it's a big deal that they're silver. It's talked about over and over and over again in the book. Yes, it is. Yeah. That the reason they chose to make them red and the reason why the ruby slippers have been so immortalized basically in cinema culture for years and years and years is because of the use of the Technicolor in the movie. Because they wanted something that was flashier. They wanted it to be super like, Look what we can do. Look at yes. these bomb so ass made... ruby fucking red slippers. Yeah. So they made these sparkly. They started with silver in their first tests and their first shoots. And they didn't like the way that it looked on film. It wasn't flashy yeah. enough for the producers and everything. So they changed it. They were like, okay, well, what would look really shiny and bright against the yellow brick road? Because that's everything. what we're going to show her walking yeah. on and everything. And they decided- and her dress because her dress is blue checked. So yeah. you've got all the primary colors in that essential picture yeah. of what would they would use for everything. They would use it for their posters, yes. for the, you know, all of that stuff. So the production team decided to switch the slippers to <clears throat> Ruby- and so they're like sequined. They're supposed to, they look bejeweled by today's standards. They're not mm-hmm. great looking because this was like- It's 1939. It's this 1939. was some shit in 1939. But, you know what I'm saying? But they're beautiful. Was like, oh, fuck. So from here on out, anytime Sam mentions the silver slippers, know that in the book in the movie. and in The Wiz, they are silver. Right. But in The Wizard of Oz, the movie, they are- ruby slippers right the ruby red so they could be flashy as fuck just like judy garland's lips mm-hmm. the munchkins and the good witch of the north are gone dorothy's like all right if this is going to be a long-ass journey i should take some supplies and M and uncle henry are not here so i'm just gonna take all of the stuff that i can carry in this basket so she gets all of you know a bunch of food and supplies from the house and also there's like trees in the area that she fell so she like picks the like fruit and nuts from the trees and fills her basket with that too and she's like if this is also going to be a long journey I I should probably like wash myself now (laughs) basically so that like while I'm walking and stuff you know and on this journey I can wash myself periodically but I started out at least clean and ready for life so she like takes essentially like a whole day she spends the night preparing uh she's grabbing the food and the supplies she washes herself and she also changes her clothes 
this is when she changes to what we know is the blue checked uh you know frock basically the gingham dress Mm -hmm. and the other thing she does when she changes her clothes is that her shoes when she is looking at them is like you know what these shoes are probably not going to work for a long journey they're too worn uh you know she and aunt em and uncle henry are poor people basically like they live on a farm in kansas you know uh so her shoes have like seen some better days and she's like these probably are not going to last a super long journey but she doesn't have any other shoes of her own in the house so the only other pair of shoes that she has is the shoes that the good witch of the north just gifted her the silver slippers so she's like well since i just got these i guess i'll put them on they fit her perfectly of course and they head off right and early the next morning. Which they go down. Genuinely a horrible idea. Like, <laughs> do not yeah. go on a long journey in shoes you've never worn before. For sure. Like, this is a magical story. So obviously the shoes fit her perfectly. She never has an issue with the shoes. They were but, apparently broken in already. Like, Right. But in actual reality, if you got some new ass shoes... And you're going to go on a long ass journey. No, don't, don't do that. You about to have some really bad blisters at the end of that day. And then the rest of your journey is going to be agonizing. Cause you're just going to be ripping those wounds deeper and deeper because your poor ass feet didn't break in those shoes ahead of time. Um, but this is magic. She's 12 and these slippers are not regular slippers so they fit her feet perfectly there's nothing wrong with them she doesn't have to worry about that shit she leaves in the morning as she follows the yellow brick road uh the first day she attends this banquet by a munchkin like she's like she's walking essentially through like country and neighborhoods by the end of the day She's like, I'm going to have to find a place to rest for the night. And it just so happens she comes across one of these homesteads where a munchkin and uh, his family and stuff are having like this big banquet. And so she like comes in and is like, hey, I'm Dorothy. And everyone is like, oh, we've heard about you already. You saved us. Their their banquet is obviously for the fact that they just got liberated. Uh, and so she's able to stay at this banquet uh and she because she's like i need a place to stay for the night before i continue on my journey uh and the munchkin that owns this house is like absolutely please stay here you know we'll we'll help you for sure this munchkin's name is bach for anyone who is a uh wicked fan so oh oh, bach bach the munchkin is the owner of this homestead who uh helps Dorothy, lets her stay the night with him um, and his family, treats her and Toto very well. Uh, she stays the night, she wakes up and she leaves the next day uh, and keeps going on the side of the road, eventually, like in the middle of the day, basically. She's like, ah, I'm tired. Uh, you know, sit down and rest for a bit. It just so happens that when she wants to rest at that moment, she's uh, kind of through a big stretch of like farmland and stuff when she's you know is resting on the side of the road a little ways off is this scarecrow and when she sits down the scarecrow talks to her and she's like oh hello scarecrow because obviously she's a child like we've said this several times now 
but I think for people who only know the Wizard of Oz from the movie, the Judy Garland version, she's a child child. <laughs> like, yeah. Judy Garland's got boobs and shit. Like, Dorothy in the book, I think is like 12 or mm-hmm. something like that. She's a child child. So you have, I have to fun think facts of, on like, that. <laughs> the, the accepted, <laughs> you have to think of of like Dorothy's acceptance of all like strange things in this world as that childlike innocence of just like, okay, apparently this scarecrow can talk, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's, that's cool. <laughs> and so, so the scarecrow starts talking to her. <laughs> so there's actually, okay. So let me preface this by saying all the stuff that Sam has mentioned up to now does not happen in either film. Like she grabs a basket, which is presuming presumably full of stuff in the original wizard of oz but we don't see her like putting anything in it she just like grabs toto and puts toto in it and starts walking and then she ends up at the scarecrow there's no part with bach she's not like grabbing stuff to prep for her journey or anything and in the whiz she's all alone she doesn't have a house she just starts walking and wandering looking for the yellow brick road because as it turns out in the whiz there isn't one yet yeah. like wh- the area that she falls in in munchkinland doesn't have any remnants of the was of the yellow brick road she's just kind of like wandering ah, and shit. and trying to follow these like clues to get to the yellow brick road but there's not there's no signs yet the scarecrow is actually being picked on there's these this group of crows that's right yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. are just like eating all the crops around the scarecrow and the scarecrow's just like, hey guys, like maybe you could let me down today. Like that would be nice of you. Like uh, you can keep eating the food. I don't care. I just like want to get down from my perch. <laughs> the worst and... scarecrow ever. No, yeah, he doesn't care. He's just been, you know, standing <laughs> up on his little crucifix for ages yeah. and ages. He's just ready to get down. And Dorothy like happens upon this scene and she's like hiding, scared of what's going to happen because she's very timid. Mm-hmm. And she hears the crows making fun of the scarecrow and she basically rushes up on them and is like, hey, yo, like maybe you shut the fuck up. Not not in so many words. She's much yeah. nicer and quieter right. about it. Right. She's very mousy about it. She's like, hey, like stop being so mean. Like there's no reason to be mean. And she lets Just let him down. And she lets the scarecrow down. It ha- In the movie Wizard of Oz, it happens very similarly to like, the book. Yeah. Uh, Dorothy ends up at a crossroads where there's several different ways, ways that she walk. could go, that she could follow of the yellow brick road. And she is concerned, doesn't know what to do. And then this scarecrow starts talking to her and is like, oh, well, maybe you should go this way or you could go that way or you could go that way. And like, doesn't really tell her, you know, what to do or what not, not to a do. help whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She is very accepting of the fact that the scarecrow is talking to her. Judy Garland is. Like Sam said, this character of Dorothy is meant to be a prepubescent child. Like she's maybe 12, maybe less, probably less than that. It she's young. I I I'm saying 12 generously. I say 12 as like that's the oldest that she possibly could be. She's She's like probably like eleven. Yeah, she's in the 10 to 12 range. And in the movie version, they forced judy garland to wear a corset for the like under her dress the entire time um 
to basically flat chest her and make her waist really small so that Mm -hmm. she looked like a child that was Mm -hmm. like the goal that they were going for and like maybe this worked in 1939 but every time I have watched this film Mm -hmm. my entire (laughs) life like I started watching this film when I was oh, what, yeah. like three, like nineteen ninety. When I was young, I didn't think she was a twelve-year-old. Yeah, I did in nineteen ninety. In nineteen ninety, I assumed that she was a teenager, and mm-hmm. because she was, Judy Garland was sixteen when she filmed this film. Right. Uh, and even watching it now, like the remastered versions, I'm like, that's clearly not she a twelve-year-old. She got some curves. She got some boobage going yeah. on. I don't care how many corsets you wrap around her. Well, <laughs> I think I honestly think the corsets made it worse. Like, yeah, like honestly. yes, they they flat chested her, but they also they really like, accentuated her like it, hourglassness. Yeah, yeah but exactly. it made her give it gave her an hourglass, and twelve year olds don't have hourglass shapes. No. Like that's not they a are, thing. They're just like they sticks. are stick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even they a twelve year old rectangle. <laughs> even a twelve year old who has boobs, like who has already right. kind of has gone through the change, started developing. Started yeah. developing they're still like flat on both sides like their hips there's no hips there because your hips don't really expand until you're 14 15 exactly they don't (laughs) widen until you go through puberty damn it she's supposed to be 12 so keep that in mind as we're talking about her just like accepting these different creatures that are coming to life around her she's like not giving a fuck about it because she's supposed to be 12 in the whiz she's 24 she's scared of everything but because she's an adult is trying to stop the injustices that are happening around her basically like yes it's it's a definitely a different tone in the whiz like how dorothy's character is portrayed all the other versions dorothy is just this young innocent child who's like having a fun frolic through oz and in this one it's very much this grown woman going on a journey to find not only herself but to help everyone else around her and it's like she's trying to make the world a better place and right. that's evident from the very beginning and it's not as evident with the other Oz's. like no. she's not she's not trying to stop things that are bad her, she just yeah, happens exactly. upon her literal things that are only bad. goal is to get home and to like keep her friends safe when she makes friends that's yeah. it so the scarecrow started talking to her because she has decided that she wanted to rest in the middle of the day when uh they talk he's like i would love to be let down and she's like yeah i can do that for sure and she lets him down and he's like oh that's awesome and she's like all right well it was nice meeting you i gotta keep going and he's like well where are you going and she's like well I'm going to the Wizard of Oz because I got to go home to Kansas. And he's like, do you think the Wizard of Oz could give me brains? And she's like, I don't fucking know. Probably. Like, he's a wizard. Everyone keeps saying that he's like the bestest ever and he can do like everything. And the Scarecrow is like, all right, well, uh, you know, would you mind if I come with you? Because I really want some brains. I don't got none. And like, I want them. I want to have a brain. And Dorothy is like, yeah, sure. Yeah, come on, let's go. Uh, so the scarecrow is like, all right, let's do it. So they are now traveling companions. Insert iconic song and dance numbers here in both versions mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, We're in off the- to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. Well, that happens. That happens at the end. 
So when the scarecrow is asking for a brain or thinking about being a brain, he sings a whole song oh, called oh, oh, If yeah, I yeah, Only yeah, Had yeah, a Brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as they start skipping down the yellow brick road, then they they go in with um, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And then in The Wiz, he sings a song about wanting a brain as well, Michael Jackson, and he crushes it. And he's like showing off his dance moves because it's Michael oh, Jackson. Yeah. It's amazing. And then he helps Dorothy find the remnants of the fucked up yellow brick road couple of sad bricks here leading to the remnants of what is the yellow brick road and then they start following it and head on towards the emerald city we're off to see the wizard as we're traveling the scarecrow btw uh tells her how he became alive it's not a very exciting story it's exactly what you're thinking (laughs) some munchkins make him for scaring crows in their crops and he becomes alive the minute they start making him and he can see and then hear and then uh all of that stuff uh when they give him eyes and ears etc and he's not a very good scarecrow in this one either because the when he's hung up like the scarecrow the crows at first are kind of scared but then they're like oh it's just a fucking dumb dummy it's not a real man and so they start eating shit and he's kind of sad because he's not good at his job but for some reason he the reason that he fixates on brains is because the munchkins that made him like say something about that like about smarts or something like that so he fixates essentially on like man if i had brains i'd be like the best dude ever so he tells her kind of like about how he came alive as they're walking and walking and walking. Uh, they pass a cottage and they're like, hey, uh, we're almost out of our supplies at this point. Let's stop in this little college cottage and get supplies. And as they do that, they hear a groan somewhere on the property. And they're like, what in the fuck is that? In the yard of this homestead, there is a tin woodsman, a humanoid figure made entirely of tin that is solid you know not moving like in the middle of essentially like chopping wood he is the person that has apparently started groaning and they're like uh can we help you and he is asking to be oiled it takes them a while because she you know they have to find the oil can of it basically and he can't talk too much but they do find it they oil him they oil him you know up and down get their you know his all of his joints get oiled and he's super grateful he's like oh my god i've been standing there for fucking ever <laughs> they're like yeah no problem man like we just had to stop and get supplies and the tin woodsman is like well, where are you guys going and they tell him and he's like well can i I come with you? I really want a heart. And they're like, yeah, I mean, the wizard can probably give you that. I mean, he, you know, he's coming to get his brains. I need to go back to Kansas. Why not? Sure, he can probably give you a heart. And the Tin Woodsman is like, oh my God, thank you so much. Yes, I want to come with you. Uh, And the Tin Woodsman is now a part of their merry band. In the movie, The Wizard of Oz from 1939, this scene pretty much goes exactly how it does in the book. They happen upon a cottage and they meet the tin woodsman who they just refer to as the tin man. 
And of course, because it is like a movie musical type movie, he sings a song about needing a heart. Um, sim- very similar in the same vein as the right. If I Only Had a Brain that the Scarecrow had sung. He joins their group and they, you know, keep going. Um, in The Wiz, because it takes place in a like metropolitan type city uh, of Oz, like Oz and is meant to be similar to New York, just like a busted up run down New York. The Tin Man is actually found at like a rundown roller coaster. So the Yellow Brick Road like leads them to like a Coney Island type area. Interesting. I like and, that. And they're following this Yellow Brick Road, which goes up, like follows the tracks of this roller coaster up to this other like hilly area that they're going to keep going on. And they get down into the bot, like the dip part of what would be the roller coaster. And they hear these groans and they like, what the fuck? They uncover him. He was like trapped under something. And they get him up and he's all squished up, of course, just like in the movie and in the book. And they oil him up because he's asking for oil. And then, of course, he sings another song. And his song, of course, because it's all mo all of these songs are Motown, like soul feel. You know, it's it's really beautiful. It's like this yeah. fucking awesome soul song where he's talking about, you know, wanting a heart and wanting to be able to feel and all this stuff. And he crushes it. And then he joins the group and then they continue on to get to where they're going. So when they continue going, they're like, well, why do you want to have a heart? And the tin woodman says, well, I was in love with this girl uh, and I wanted to marry her, but uh, her mom or grandma, one of those, basically the matriarch of the household, didn't want him to marry her this woman pays the wicked witch of the east to keep the tin woodsman who is a normal person at this point in the story just fyi him before he was made of tin the mom uh figure of this girl pays the wicked witch of the east to keep this boy from being able to marry her daughter so the wicked witch of the east enchants him so that when he is cutting up wood he accidentally cuts off one of his limbs when this happens obviously that sucks he has a tinner a person who works with tin fashion a new arm out of tin for him prosthetic all right yeah and and yeah he gets a prosthetic and he's like all right i can just keep going at this and the Wicked Witch of the East is like, God damn it, that was supposed to dissuade you. She enchants him again. He cuts off his other limb. She enchants him again. He cuts off one of his legs. She enchants him again. He cuts off his other leg. So now he doesn't have any limb that is not made of tin. He's got his regular old torso and head. So she enchants him. And this time when he is chopping wood, he accidentally cuts off his dumbass head. He now has a tin head. And the only thing left is his torso. And so she enchants him one last time. And of course, when he is chopping wood with his mostly tin body now, it accidentally somehow cuts his torso in half. So when they replace his torso, he no longer has a heart. 
he is like, now there was nothing else for her to be able to enchant to try and dissuade me, but I no longer had a heart. So I no longer cared about marrying her. Which is just kind of a little telling to the like fleetingness of the love going on here. <laughs> because uh, we'll reveal more about this a little later, but like he very much still has the capacity to love and like he still has a heart. Quote. I'm gonna tell you, neither one of the the movie versions have this as part of the story. This is all yeah. like a backstory that only is found in the book. For obvious reasons. Like, this is gruesome as fuck. This dude just keeps cutting off his limbs and, like, repairing them or replacing them with tin. And Wicked's origin story for the tin man is way different because Wicked changes a lot of shit about the origins of this Yeah, I think I'll just talk about Wicked at the end. For sure. Kind of, like, weave it in. Because putting it in now is just going to confuse everyone. No, it would confuse the shit out of everyone. (laughs) Yeah, great call. He clearly didn't love the girl that much because when he quote unquote loses his heart when he has to replace his torso and he is now entirely made of tin, he no longer cares about marrying the girl because he doesn't have a heart. He's like, well, I guess I'll just keep doing what I've always done, which is chop wood. So he keeps chopping wood and, you know, keeps oiling himself to make sure that he's, you know, able to continue functioning. But one day he accidentally forgets to oil himself on a regular basis because he's just so into his work. And it just so happens that that is the day that a rainstorm happens. And before he can get the oil can, he rusts quickly, almost immediately apparently. And he is stuck that way for forever and ever and ever until Dorothy and the Scarecrow come upon them. Sad origin story of the Tin Woodsman, check. They continue traveling. All of a sudden, they're like, they're in kind of like a forested area. Like, it's not like a super wild, crazy country or anything, but they're, you know, they're kind of in a forest area. And as they're walking around, suddenly from like behind one of the thickets or whatever, a huge lion jumps out. Immediately, the lion swipes the scarecrow away because the scarecrow is made of straw obviously so bites at the tin man but it doesn't hurt the tin man obviously because you know he's made of tin leaves the tin man because he's like ah shit apparently that's not gonna hurt the tin man and he lunges at toto and when he lunges at toto dorothy like a good fur mom does it forgets all notions of her own safety when she sees her fur baby getting uh, threatened and is like, oh, hell no, you are not about to try to eat my dog and jumps up and baps this motherfucking lion on the nose. <laughs> like, bitch, don't suck my, touch my dog. When she does this, the lion is like, ow, like, what the fuck? That hurt. Like, why did you do that? <laughs> okay, when this happens in the original movie, the cowardly lion starts to cry like he gets hit in the face and is like oh my god why did you do that and judy garland broke character like like just started laughing like mm-hmm. because of because of the way that the actor in the lion he's so good it's he was so, so fucking good she completely breaks character and like can't handle his reaction to this little hit on the nose 
and she starts laughing to the point where they had to stop production. Like they had to cut the scene because she was laughing so hard. And the director fucking pulled her aside, gave her a stern talking to, slapped her- her shit together. He slapped her in the face. Oh no. And then they start rolling again. Excuse me? Yes. So the director was really concerned that like he had ruined his relationship with Judy Garland. He was like, fuck, I overreacted. Like I didn't, I I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. My bad. Like this was horrible. Oh my God. I feel so bad. And he he was talking to someone else on the production staff, like right after it had happened, like he was freaking out, like, fuck, I just ruined, I just ruined this entire film. 16 year old in the face. I just ruined this entire film. Pretty normal thing. Like it's a fucking normal ass thing to laugh that fucking hard at something that's funny. Yeah. And then Judy Garland overheard him being concerned that their relationship was ruined and came over and gave him a hug and a kiss on the cheek and then went back to filming. And she was like, it's cool, bud. Like I get it. I'm a fucking saint. I get it. I I get it. I was was overreacting. I don't care how professional I was. That man slapped my ass. I'd have been like, put that shit on the gallows. Chop yeah. his motherfucking head off. No, he how slapped her in the you? face. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then they go back and they start, they film it again. They have to reshoot the sequence. And same thing happens. You know, the cowardly lion is crying and it still makes Judy Garland laugh but she's holding it in really hard. She's trying to hold it in really hard and you can still see it in the final cut oh, of the film. Yeah, so like, if you watch it now, you can still like, see her break a little bit, like trying to hold in a laugh because <laughs> of the way that the the actor who plays the Cowardly Lion um, is just crushing he's it. so funny. <laughs> he's, he's so, so animated funny. and hilarious. Yeah. Because he, he sells it. it he's not like, he's not like selling the joke he's selling actually being upset about the bap on the nose yeah like it's Bert, the worst thing that has ever happened to his life and it's so yeah Bert Lar is an incredible character actor like he did such a good job <laughs> in this scene that it I mean Judy Garland got slapped for it like that's how yeah. good it was so <laughs> oof. oof sorry I got heated there for a second I can't remember if he like super cries or anything in the book, but he definitely is like, he's bapped on the nose. It's not that big of a deal because she's like 11. You know, how hard could he have gotten bapped? But the the huge lion who was, you know, a moment ago trying to attack everyone is like, why did you like just bat me on the nose? Like that wasn't really nice of you to do. Like, ow. <laughs> she's like, bruh. You know, you were trying to, like, eat my dog. You, like, threw my friend. You bit my other friend. Like, of course I fucking bapped you on the nose. And he's like, but they're okay. Like, you actually really hurt me. (laughs) And she's like, okay, well, for a lion, you're a little bit of a coward. And he's like, yeah, I know. I don't really know what to do about it. I'm sorry. And she's like, well, you know, if you're sorry, that's fine. And he's like, well, like, what are you guys even doing? And so she, like, introduces everyone. And she's like, here's the scarecrow made of straw and the tin woodsman made of tin. And there's this really hilarious moment where he points to Toto and is like, uh, you know, like, well, what is uh, that 
dude made of basically and she's like oh well this is a meat dog wow (laughs) he's like I don't know what to do about myself I'm supposed to be the king of beasts but I'm you know obviously a fucking coward and they're like well we're all going to the Wizard of Oz to ask our shit. You know, I'm asking for a brain. I'm asking for a heart. I'm asking to go back to Kansas. Like, you should come with us. Maybe you can ask him for some courage. If he can give us all of that stuff, he can probably give you some courage too. And the line is like, oh, you fucking think? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, all right, cool. So we officially have our band of four merry travelers and their fun dog. The Cowardly Lion, the Tin Woodsman, the Scarecrow, Dorothy, and Toto. So in The Wizard of Oz, of course, this happens with a song. He sings about, you know, being the Cowardly Lion. And it's really funny. Uh, you should definitely watch at least, if you, if you don't want to watch this whole film, the original 1939 film, because there is a lot of problems with it. I would definitely watch the three sequences where each of the members of the group get joined. The if I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, if I only had some courage, like those three songs. If I only had the nerve, I think is what you Yeah, if I only had the nerve. Uh, The songs, the songs are catchy and like, they're pretty good. But the way that the three actors just go over the top into their character like it's it's, really good it's really really good and is a testament to why this film has just sustained its popularity for almost what we're we're about to be at 80 years or we just hit 80 years a couple years ago so like (laughs) we're heading towards 90 years here and that film still has the staying power like there's a lot of problems with it of course like like I just right. mentioned, Judy Garland got fucking slapped for it. Those scenes and the way that the actors just took on the personalities of their characters is really, yeah. really cool. You know, the story was obviously for children when he first wrote the book, but when they made the musical and then eventually the the live action adaptation of the musical, the goal was they're marketing it for adults, not children now, because adults go to Broadway theater shows, you know, adults go and see live action movies. What L. Frank Baum didn't want was he didn't want the like magic, you know, absurdity of of these characters and how fun and comical and crazy and interesting and fun they all are. None of that he wanted to lose. So they had to try and figure out a way to to market it to adults without losing all of that. So what they did was they changed essentially the themes of what's going on in the story rather than changing the you know the motivations or the characterizations of the people so they kept all of the absurdity of the characters but they just changed sort of some of the struggles that they had to go through in order to make it appeal more to an adult audience yeah and that's why it was so iconic and even for kids because it kept that childlike absurdity but the actual themes that the characters were going through, that's what they targeted and to sell it to an adult audience for the Broadway and the movies. Okay, so in The Wiz, they're, you know, they're easing on down the road, which is the best, one of the best songs in musical history. Like not just this movie history, all of musical history, Ease On Down the Road is a fucking banger, okay? yeah. So they're easing on down the road 
and they happen across what I think is supposed to be like a train station. It's got these elaborate steps in the front and between the steps, there's these columns that have, or these little pedestals that separate the chunks of steps that each have Mm. a lion on them. The scarecrow and the tin man walk by this lion and are freaked out like holy shit that's a realistic lion like i'm scared <laughs> you know because one doesn't have any brains and the other one is just like right. he's a tin man he doesn't know any better and dorothy's like it's okay guys like that's just a statue like we're gonna be all right it's fine mm-hmm. and she goes up close to the statue and she's like well i think it's just a statue and then she like goes to pet it the statue breaks apart like the whole of the, the statue casing breaks apart and the cowardly lion jumps out, like jumps up, starts trying to scare everybody. Mm-mm-mm. And Dorothy's just like, yo, chill out. Like, what the fuck? Like, it's cool. And she calms him down. And then they they get to talking to him. And, you know, they find out he doesn't have any courage. He's not really brave. He's just, you know, this lion, right. This he's been sitting here for a long time as a statue. Like, he's been stuck there. Mm-hmm. And he thanks them for unsticking them. Dorothy suggests, just like in all the other versions, like, hey, you know, the scarecrow's going to get a brain, the tin man's going to get a heart, I'm going to go to Kansas, like, or I'm going to go back home to New York, you want to join us, where maybe the whistle, the whiz will be able to give you some courage, and the whiz, the lion is like, hell yeah, like, let's fucking go, and I'm going to say this, the whiz is one of the best costume and makeup design teams that has ever existed. All right. I'm going to keep repeating this. The farther we get into this story and the more <laughs> we go along into this story, like I'm going to keep talking about it because right. I had I had an entire conversation with one of my best friends over text message last night while I was watching it about all like, about it. The incredibleness of this fucking story. But I said that to say that the lion has the best lion makeup. that has ever existed in cinema gorgeous and broadway like even the lion king on broadway which is a huge fucking deal yeah for sure and has been lauded as just this incredible beautiful work of makeup uh ted ross as the lion in the whiz has the best like snout and lip configuration like the prosthetic that they put on his face to make him look like a lion is so fucking great and realistic and the way that they did his hair like his mane he has like this orange kind of like fro-ish hair Mm. all around his face like they took it all around the lion in the wizard of oz from 1939 it's like like long long hair early brown hair yeah but the lion in the whiz has like this puffy beautiful i do remember that it's more like you you know when you were a kid and you drew lions and the way you drew a lion was you drew a big circle for the head because the mane circled the entire head that's what you knew a lion was was the lion had a face and then a big ass circle around it was the fucking mane it's exactly like that that's what i remember to this point in the in the whiz the costumes have been okay like the scarecrow's costume it's pretty good like you know he has he has little pieces of newspaper and shit like coming out of him the tin man he's made of like 
instead of being just pieces of tin, like the tin woodsman in the original movie, he's made up of like a bunch of tin cans that have been like soldered together and stuff and just pieces of like junk that have been put together. And that's really cool. But then they get to the lion. What they did with the lion in the Wiz is fucking incredible. So he joins the group and he's like, yes, I'm going to go get some courage. In the movie version, I just want to touch on his costume real quick because it is not as good as the Wiz, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned, he does have just like long curly brown hair because I, I don't know what the goal was there. Like they, I don't, I don't know. I, they couldn't figure out how to make it like stick up right yeah, properly maybe like, like um trying to emulate maybe um like royal visages from the yeah. past of like portraits where men had long hair and yeah, that yeah, was yeah. actually considered elegant and that makes manly. sense that makes sense uh but his makeup if you've ever seen anything on that guy that turned himself quote-unquote into a cat <laughs> okay that's what this makeup looked like yeah he had like this this prosthetic (laughs) lip that they put these big whiskers out of probably looked really great in 1939 but after they've done the like refinishing and you know digital editing to make it beautiful more beautiful and better the makeup is lacking for sure like you can see the inconsistencies with the makeup and just like oh that looks like it sucked and I read (laughs) He looks the most like I'm a man playing this character yeah, and not definitely. I'm actually the character. Definitely. And I read in the notes that his fucking, the prosthetic on his face didn't allow him to eat. Like he couldn't move his mouth enough to eat regular food. Yeah, I've, food. Heard, I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. So he had to drink soup and like eat smoothies. That was all he could deal with. with or his, his mouth, face makeup yeah. would just fall out, fall off. And yeah. he'd have to get it reapplied, which is a pain in the ass. Yes. Um, and takes hours especially for prosthetics yes and his costume is a big point of contention with why this film doesn't hold up anymore and why people refuse to watch this film anymore is made of an actual lion skin Mm -mm, absolutely the fuck not yes oh my god i'm so mad right now yeah okay so they took a lion pelt that I don't think they like went out and killed a lion purposefully for yeah, this I'm film. sure but still but they found a lion who had been killed right and used the skin to create this costume so the paws that you see on him those are real lion paws his feet are real lion feet Mm-mm. his you can see in some scenes in the like remastered version, you can see the zipper that's in the back, but mm-hmm. he's wearing an actual lion pelt. There were points in filming where they had to completely stop production and reapply all his makeup because the pelt was so hot while they were like singing and dancing and stuff that his like his Mel- body his temperature makeup was melting. His makeup would melt. He was just sweating. Every night during filming, they had Which to Which have... is actually something BTW, if you've never been in a, the theater industry where you've actually done like a huge production and you've had to have makeup like that, is actually a huge thing that does happen. Yeah, it's Your a big makeup problem. makeup does melt. Yeah, for sure. And so during production, he would get so sweaty and gross. Like every night when they would end filming, 
he would get out of his costume and they would hang it up. And they had two people on set whose sole job was to stay overnight and dry out the costume. Now, this costume is in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., along with with many of the other costumes, all the other costumes from this film, basically. They've got the Wicked Witches costume. They've got Dorothy's costume and the Ruby Slippers. They've got the Scarecrow's costume and the Tin Man costume. All of those costumes are in there. There's like a whole Wizard of Oz exhibit because this movie is just so pivotal in American history. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that, too, later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but his costume had to be aired out and dried every single night during production because it just got so sweaty and a bunch of people on the staff after this was all done said that that costume fucking reeked. I was gonna say I bet it stank (laughs) yeah stank so hard for sure so like the lion is like funny and goofy and whatever but there's like a really dark huge controversy. controversy to his costuming and all of that that went on with it so Take wow. the 1939 movie with a grain of salt for sure, because it's there's some questionable stuff, and we'll get into more of the other costuming issues yes. and problems later. But yes, wow. <laughs> so the lion, the tin woodsman, the scarecrow, and Dorothy with Toto are now all traveling together. They go some days through this foresty type of landscape. The Tin Woodman at one point accidentally steps on and kills a beetle. He is very beside himself with grief when he does this. He cries and he accidentally rusts his jaw. Like because his jaw is rusted, he can't tell them what's going on. And it's the scarecrow that realizes that his jaw is rusted. And so he figures out to oil his jaw so that he can start talking again. The Tin Woodsman after that is very careful to watch where he walks. And these are obviously really important moments. We'll talk about it more later. They reach a ditch eventually. They're all kind of stumped for a while about how to cross this ditch. The Scarecrow is like, well, the lion could jump over with me on his back in a test. If he doesn't make it, you know, I'm made of straw you know, it won't hurt me if I fall with him (laughs) down into the ditch, you know, but it would hurt him if it was one of you guys. So the lion is very scared about this, but he also knows that the scarecrow is right and that there's no other way for them to test this theory. So even though he is scared, is like, all right, I guess I have to do this. And he takes the scarecrow on his back and jumps and it ends up being very easy. It was not a scary jump for him whatsoever. It was a very easy jump. So he has brought the scarecrow over and then he does the same thing with them one by one. They've crossed the ditch. This is also another important moment, which again, I won't mention you know, in more detail until later. I'm not going to make these kind of comments again for the rest of these kind of moments that I mentioned because it should become more and more apparent as we go on what the reason why these are important but i will say neither of these moments happen in either one of the movies there mm-hmm. there's like subtle different things that they replace these moments with right in the movies that yes. are so minute that you'd have really have to watch the wizard of oz or the Wiz to get into there's not a point in mentioning right. them 
but they do happen very similarly. Right. Um, and they're for each... the same purpose. I yeah, know for exactly the same what purpose. you're talking about. Yeah, it yep. happens to each one of the, all three of the characters get like a moment where, you know, these things they have happening. they have to do these things. They keep walking. When they start walking after they have crossed over the ditch, the lion suddenly becomes super scared, even more than usual, uh, because they have now reached, according to the lion, what is called Kalida territory. What are the Kalidas? They are monstrous beasts with bodies like bears and heads like tigers and with claws so long and sharp that they could tear me in two as easily as I could kill Toto. I'm terribly afraid of the Kalidas. That is what a Kalida is. Uh, I'm sure 1000% that this is where they pull the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, uh, description, scary story, uh, part of the song in Wizard of Oz. They reach another ditch. They haven't come across anything at this point, thankfully, but now they've reached another ditch and this one is much bigger than the other one. It is very obviously too big to jump. So the scarecrow after a while says, okay, tin woodsman, chop down this big tree right here. If you chop it down, it's gonna fall across the ditch and we can walk over it like a bridge. And they're like, brilliant. So the tin woodsman chops this big huge tree it falls like they said when this happens <laughs> the Kalidas suddenly hear them and they have come out and they're like oh fuck uh so everyone rushes across as they run the lion is the last one to cross and right before he crosses he roars and scares the shit out of the Kalidas so that he can run over but the Kalidas don't get scared for long. So they start trying to follow them and they are now crossing that bridge too. And they're like, ah, shit, they're coming after us. And so the scarecrow is like, Tin Woodsman, now chop this tree so that it falls <laughs> across the ditch in, into it. Uh, so the Tin Woodsman's like brilliant again, chops the bridge that he then made until it breaks and the Kalidas fall into the ditch. They keep traveling. They reach a river. There's no more forest on the other side of this river, finally. They're like, all right, well, we're going to have to make a raft. They make a raft of wood. The Tin Woodsman, you know, chops a bunch of shit. It takes over a day. On the raft, when they start trying to cross the river, they're using poles. They're super long so they can reach the bottom so they can propel you when they move. Uh, so they're using these types of poles to push them towards the other side. But unfortunately, the current in this river is very swift and it gets very deep in the middle. Unfortunately, so deep that they struggle trying to get the poles down enough when they're trying to move. And when this is happening, they're moving further and further away down the current from the yellow brick road. The scarecrow has dug his pole in and it gets stuck and he's pulled immediately from the raft because he's so light because he's made of straw so he is now holding for dear life on this pole in the middle of the river off the raft and they're still flowing down 
the river's current and he's like ah fucking bye i guess <laughs> the lion finally is like i think we're close enough to the other side's edge that i can swim against this current dragging all of us if we if you know one of you holds onto the raft it's hard but he is right he can do it they get across onto the other side by this point, they've obviously flowed super far down away from the yellow brick road. They don't even know where it is anymore. They can't even see the scarecrow anymore. They rush back to the point where the scarecrow is, and the scarecrow sees them and waves, obviously, but they have no idea how to save him. And they're just like, ah, fuck. And they're really sad. And just at this moment, serendipitously, a huge stork is flying by, happens to land and is like, what's good? And they're like, <laughs> It's so serendipitous that you just landed here. Uh, our friend is stuck in the middle of that river. And the stork is like, well, yeah, I can try and like pick him up. But like, he's probably going to be too heavy. And they're like, oh, no, he's not. He's made of straw. And the stork is like, oh, okay, well, then, yeah, I can go pick him up. And he picks the scarecrow up and brings him onto the other side of uh, the river with everyone else. And they're like, thank you so much. And the stork is like, yeah, cool beans. And then leaves. <laughs> So that's really cool. Uh, so none of this is in <laughs> is in the film version. Basically, all the part with the Kalidas and the raft is not in the movie version, either because it would have taken too long to do or would have been too much money to do or just... But I think it's really cool that the stork is what saved the scarecrow because in the scene where the scarecrow and Dorothy are walking and they come across the cottage where the tin woodsman is yes there are storks like a bunch of really big like exotic looking storks in the background of that scene and mm -hmm. there's not a mention as to why and I didn't think of it at all because I haven't read the book I didn't think anything more into it as it's just like the exotic birds right. quote unquote of Oz but they threw that in because that is a pivotal scene in the book that they just didn't yep. feel the need to add into. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I'd like to mention also the Wiz does not have either of these sequences in them either. They didn't bother with the Kalidas or the river. <laughs> yeah. This is the first instance um, very much so where like before now, like you've heard so far that there's little bits and pieces that haven't been included but are kind of summarized more or less essentially in the story this is the first instance that we've come across where as of right now there will be several more of these like little periods that are just cut completely out of the story when it comes to the movies slash musical versions of um covering oz stories yeah so after they've saved the scarecrow they start trying to walk back towards the yellow brick road they come across a field of poppies these poppies have deadly fumes if you walk in them too long and as they are walking the tin woodsman and the scarecrow realize that all the meat creatures Toto and Dorothy and the lion are becoming more and more lethargic and are falling asleep and they're like ah shit that's right poppies have deadly fumes these guys are going to die if we don't get them out of here soon enough also so, known as opioids yeah <laughs> these folks getting high as fuck out here as fuck so they're like oh shit 
they suggest that the lion try to run as fast as he can out of the poppy field because he's on all fours. And so the lion starts trying to do that and starts bounding, even though he's absolutely affected, just like Dorothy and Toto are. He starts trying to run out. And then the Tin Woodsman and the Scarecrow pick up Toto and Dorothy. They carry them out of this field. The lion, unfortunately, doesn't make it out. They pass his body. He has fallen asleep. So when they get out of the poppy field, there is a mouse that they see immediately. And this mouse is being chased by a wildcat. And the Tin Woodsman reacts very, like, knee-jerk and just kills the wildcat with his axe to save the mouse. Um, And he does honestly feel a little bad about it because he obviously doesn't like killing things. He saved this mouse. And it turns out that this was a great call because the mouse that he has just saved was apparently the queen of all field mice. So he has saved this mouse and she calls her like liege mice and they all come and praise the tin woodsman and his friends for saving their queen the queen is like how can we ever repay you and the scarecrow is like oh well now that you mention it we actually need a favor because one of our friends is stuck in the fucking poppy field uh so i need you all to go you how many mice are you and they're like we're a bunch of us and the scarecrow is like great each one of you go and get like a long ass piece of string and come back and so they do that and the scarecrow is like all right now tin woodsman make like a like a slat of wood like a gurney yeah essentially make one of those and so the tin woodsman does that and he's like all right we're gonna tie the mice to this slat we're gonna carry you guys in there and then we're going to roll the lion onto the slat and then y'all are going to pull the lion out of the poppy field and they're like all right bitch we got this and they do exactly that and they pull the lion out the lion you know is not dead thank god he is still just sleeping and everything is great dorothy at this point and toto finally wake up because they had obviously fallen asleep at this point um before they had gotten saved so the queen thinks everyone and says to Dorothy and her friends we'll always come if you need us here's this like whistle necklace basically (laughs) there's this like thing that they that the mice give them that is this whistle and they're like blow this whistle and we will always come wherever you are and the mice leave (laughs) they have to wait a little while for the lion to wake up they wait like a night the lion wakes up too awesome let's go find the yellow brick road again Okay, so here, this moment (laughs) is a little bit different in the 1939 version and incredibly controversial. Dorothy and her three pals are walking through this poppy field. And rather than the poppies like emitting a smell or whatever, it starts to snow. Like that's the danger of the poppy fields is that they... They basically snow this sleeping powder on you and you fall asleep. Exactly like Sam said, Dorothy falls asleep because she's made of meat and the lion falls asleep because he's made of meat. The scarecrow and the tin man pull Dorothy out and they get her to wake up. And then the three of them together, there's no field mice in the movie. Like they don't even bother with the field mice aspect of it. (laughs) Basically the tin man cries because he's so 
upset that Dorothy has fallen asleep and that the lion has fallen asleep. So he's crying. His oil is crying. And he drips his oil tears onto Dorothy's face and she wakes up. He drips his oil tears onto the lion and the lion wakes up. And then they get to the yellow brick road and they go on their way. Okay. That's how they that's how they resolved not using the mice. Now, I will yeah. tell you why this scene is controversial as fuck. The snow that they used in this film was not like it is now where they use like potato flakes mm. or even actual like chopped up ice. Like they didn't just throw ice in a wood chipper and were like, hey, look, it's fucking snowing. They used what old Hollywood used to use as snow in films prior to 1940. Can you guess what it is, Sam? Asbestos. Mm-hmm. They fucking rained asbestos for multiple takes on these four amazing <laughs> actors and actresses because that's what they fucking used for snow. You would think, you know, it was 1939. Maybe they didn't know the dangers of asbestos at the time. You know, you know that was before asbestos was deemed super duper dangerous. You would be wrong. (laughs) The dangers of asbestos were found several years prior to the filming of this movie. They were still like, fuck it. We're going to use asbestos as our snow. Like, it'll be fine. No big deal. So that's where this shit just goes off the rails at this point with the Wizard of Oz. Like, they literally rained asbestos on this cast. And we're just like, okay, now it's time to sing a song. Like, and go you to have the to Emerald think City. about all of the stars of this, like the people who played the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodsman. Yeah, the these were all really big Judy people, Garland. really big stars. And they all died. And they absolutely died sooner than they could have. And yeah. I 1,000% am going to say it now. Asbestos probably played a little bit of a factor in that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And definitely makeup. Like a lot of the stuff that went into this film played a part in the deaths. I would think the health of the characters of this film for sure. Okay. And now for where we get just completely off the rails, we're going to talk about this scene in The Wiz. You got to stick with me here, guys, because The Wiz, I'm scared. Like I said several times, is a modern look that takes place in a like a big city there's no poppy fields in a big city that's not a thing that exists we're not in just some big right. vast like right. grass Unless you're land. in like central park or something yeah yeah dorothy and her pals the lion the scarecrow and the tin man are walking down the yellow brick road looking to get to the emerald city and they happen upon a strip club <laughs> And there are like neon signs all over the place. That's just like lips, hot girls, blah, blah. Like, you know, just (laughs) obnoxious signs. Boobs. Yeah, basically. Yes. (laughs) And there's a bunch of female dancers that are meant to represent the poppies dancing out in this like area that is in front Basically, the the actual strip club is, like, set in the background. And the foreground is, like, what would be, I guess, the parking lot of this strip club, like, in front of it, Mm. between the Yellow Brick Road and the strip club. All of these girls are out dancing, 
trying to seduce like people to come into the strip club basically mm. they're like like the poppies were in the way of this shortcut to get to the other side of the yellow brick road to get closer to the emerald city the dancers are like this alluring thing trying to distract you from continuing on your path down the yellow brick road right rather than getting drugged by poppy aroma both dorothy and the lion the meat sacks are enticed by whatever it is that these cabaret dancers are doing to them oh shit and get pulled into this and so basically there is some diana ross like bisexual vibes going um, on i think essentially or i think initially it wasn't like I'm enticed by what's happening. I think the girls, the dancers are meant to be hypnotic in a sense. Like it's not supposed to be like, oh, they're super hot. Like I'm going because I want to go fuck that over there. I think it's meant to be they're The way that they're moving and the things that they're doing is supposed to be just entrancing her because she gets like this glazed look on her face and the lion gets this glazed look on his face and they just start walking towards them. The dancer girls push them onto this like elevator lift thing and then Dorothy and the lion go up to the top of the like building that's right next to them basically the the lift is like uh what a window washer would use similar to mm. that like on the outside mm -hmm. of the building and they end up at the top and the scarecrow and the tin man are sitting there and they're just like what the fuck do we do like right they had no control like they couldn't be controlled or they were being controlled by these dancers yeah so they like make their way through the group of dancers who are trying to entice them or whatever seduce them hypnotize them and they can't like the dancers can't do anything to them because they don't have a brain and they don't have a heart they're not alive basically yeah. and then they follow dorothy and the lion up to save them and they basically did the same thing that they did in the movie where the tin man cries and it wakes them up dorothy and the lion are both like what the fuck ah, just happened shit. what <laughs> wow so yeah that's not not a single person can convince me that this wasn't meant to represent that diana diana ross's dorothy was bisexual as fuck <laughs> and the wizard's dorothy is now officially a bicon uh certified by me you can quote me on that anyone listening <laughs> to this podcast you're welcome that's awesome i mean if you keep going i with totally forgot about the poppies in yeah the whiz. i totally forgot about that um <laughs> i mean if you okay. jump into like wicked then there's some definite like by jillion percent <laughs> like alphaba and glinda gajillion are gajillion percent <laughs> so we have finally come to the yellow brick road to get back to the story we've finally gotten back to the yellow brick road they continue down uh and it's all gravy from here they have to stop once at another nice person's home for the night and then the next day they reach the emerald city when they come here there's this huge wall they have to go through the gates they meet the guardian of the gates the guardian asks them to wear green tinted spectacles the re there is a explicit reason uh no one who comes into the emerald city is allowed to not wear these because 
these green tinted spectacles, according to the guardians of the gates, keep their eyes from being blinded by the city's brilliance. Um, it is a health hazard. So they go through the, the little like uh, anteroom where the guardians of the gates gives them their glasses and fastens it to them uh, so that they can't take them off. Uh, and then he releases them into the Emerald City where they are led through the city. They go to the palace and at the palace they are introduced to a soldier and a waiting girl. Uh, the soldier tells Oz of their presence and what they are asking for. And then after a while the soldier comes back and the soldier tells them that they will be seen one at a time one a day so they're like that's fucking random why and he's like i don't fucking ask he's oz the great and powerful like bitch i didn't fucking ask why i just said yes so <laughs> the waiting girl takes them to some very awesome ass rooms they essentially are treated like royalty you know like they've never been treated in their lives they get great ass rooms uh they're you know they get great clothes, they get great treatment, etc., etc. And then each one is called day by day to see the wizard. Dorothy is first. When she walks in, she sees a giant head. When the scarecrow walks in the next day, the scarecrow sees a lovely lady that is like of normal size in the throne. When the Tin Woodsman goes in on his third day, he sees the Great and Powerful Oz as a very terrible, huge, scary beast. When the Lion goes on the fourth day, he comes in. The Great and Powerful Oz greets him as a huge ball of fire. Each time they go in, I'm saying this all in succession because each meeting is essentially the same. No matter what Oz looks like to each of them, they go in and they tell the great and powerful Oz after he's like, I am the great and powerful Oz. Ah, what do you want? They tell them. The Tin Woodsman tells them all the same thing. I will give you what you ask for only if you kill the Wicked Witch of the West, who rules over Winky Country. I will not give you what you ask for unless this feat is accomplished. Leave my presence, basically. They're all very sad by this, but they're all like, well, fuck, I guess we have to go now and kill the Wicked Witch of the West. They pack up their stuff again because they've been here now for a good week, and they go back to the Guardian of the Gates, and they're like, all right, you know we're gonna go and he's like well where are you going and they're like we're gonna go kill the wicked of the witch of the west i guess and he's like uh good luck with that because she's scary as fuck and they're like well that boat's great and they leave okay so this scene in the movie in the movies is a little bit different in the original in the 1939 version, they get to the gates of Oz and the gatekeeper is like hassling them. Like, what are you doing? No, no one's allowed here. No one's allowed here. And then he sees Dorothy's ruby slippers and is like, oh shit, you got them slippers. That's, those are the Wicked Witch of the East slippers. Like, 
I'm going to be right back. And he goes and tells the wizard and then they're allowed in. They don't have to put on glasses or anything. They're just in this land of Oz and it is, or in the Emerald City. Everything is like beautiful and green. Everyone is in these elaborate, beautiful green costumes. They're singing a song about the merry old land of Oz that Sam kind of talked about a second ago. Yeah. And there is like, there is a huge section. Like when they're walking through the city, it is noted that like they're peering through their, you know, big, huge green goggles and it's magnificent. And it is very much reminiscent of that. Like they're noticing the same kind of things that they show in the movie, basically. They go through a beautification process, I would say. Basically, the steward that's leading them in this horse-drawn carriage, the horse of a different color, which is a whole thing I'll talk about in a minute, um, he leads them to this place and he's like, well, you can't see the wizard looking like that. Like, you guys have been on this super long journey. You guys need to get cleaned up. So... He sends them all and they separate and there we get glimpses of each of them in their rooms like the the scarecrow has been taken all apart he's being restuffed and put oh. back together so he's like all proportionate and perfect mm-hmm. the tin man has been buffed out and he's not rusty anymore he's beautiful and shiny and sparkly um the lion has had his main his whole costume like brushed out and beautiful his hair has been curled he's got like a big bow in it Dorothy's hair has been curled and prepped and you know she's been her clothes have been washed and stuff she's everyone's looking immaculate then they get to the door of the wizard's chambers and they're like we need to see the wizard basically the wizard's like no go away and then (laughs) and they're like no we've traveled forever like i was sent here by glenda the good i was told you would help us and upon hearing that the wiz is like or the wizard is like okay sure come on in and all four of them go into the wizard's chambers and they see this giant head like sam was saying that dorothy saw they all are together and they're seeing this giant green head and it's talking to them telling them all of these different things they're telling them about their dreams, their wishes. You know, I want to go home. I need a heart. I need a brain. I need courage. And he's like, well, you can't have any of that unless I get something in return. I need you to bring me the Wicked Witch of the West's broomstick. So they changed this in the movie rather than I want her dead to the broomstick because they were afraid that it was going to scare people. And they didn't want to frighten young audiences because this movie was meant with the intention of being a family film, like little kid, like kids can gum and not be super duper scared of it. So they didn't want to add the death, like for kill this person. Yeah. Saying those words is something that is a little scarier when you are watching it than when you read it for a child. Like that's 1000% a thing. For sure. So the wizard says, bring me the witch of the, or the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West, and then we'll see about your wishes. And the group, the gang is like, that sounds horrible, but all right, (laughs) let's go. So they grab all their, like they grab Toto, they get all their stuff together, and then they head out. Now, yeah by the way toto is still there yeah toto he hasn't has been, been mentioned the yet for a while but he is there for sure and let me tell you like i don't know how many infinity fucking takes it took but if you watch this film from start to finish the 
1939 version and just watch Toto, you will be watching the most well-behaved, best acting dog that has ever existed in cinema. That dog was treated as fuck. Like, sure. I, I know for sure they did a ton of takes to get everything exactly right, but the way that they cut this movie together makes that dog seem like I could tell that dog right now, go grab me a Pepsi and a bag of chips from the kitchen, and that dog would come back with exactly a Pepsi and a bag, yes. of, a bag of chips. Like, forget the dogs are colorblind. Like, that dog would just figure it out mm-hmm. because... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> for sure. It's like... Like the way that they cut this film is incredible. Toto looks so smart. And no, and it's actually exactly the same in the entire story. I haven't mentioned him because it hasn't become super pertinent to the story plot points yet. Yeah, his part is very small. He's never he's never ignored in any of this stuff. He has reactions to everything. The narrator yeah. actually says, like, there's five travelers. There's yeah. Dorsey, the Scarecrow, the Tin Woodsman, the Lion, and Toto. Yes. And Toto is always given a reaction to things that are going on. Yes. It's just not something that has gotten actual, like, meaning in terms of the plot going on yet and that's why i haven't mentioned it yet but he's super super present throughout the entire thing and it's funny he has funny reactions to stuff yes i will say the 1939 version did an incredible job in capturing that and treating toto as a fifth member of the squad they did a really good job and the dog that they had playing that played toto was just incredible or the couple of dogs that they had that played toto they were just yeah like on point now the whiz is (laughs) something different and because we're talking about toto i'm just going to jump into toto in the whiz uh the toto that they got for the whiz was a hot fucking mess i don't know if that dog just wasn't well trained or if Toto was just like a super afterthought. It was probably mm. both, honestly. Right, um, combination. Because that dog could not like, okay, you're going to walk from this point to this point. Like when I blow this whistle, little doggy, like you're going to come over to here and you're going to get your little treat. Like, cause that's what dog trainers do on sets. Like right. you start here and you're going to walk over there and that's all you got to do for the, for the take. Right. This dog was all over the fucking place throughout the entirety of the whiz. At a lot of points, like I kept turning to Otis and asking him, where the fuck is Toto? Because he just like wasn't mm-hmm. in the shots. Like they Dorothy like, wasn't holding no. him. Yeah. And and I'm sure a lot of that is because it was a full scale musical. Like the extras on that, there was like 50 or 60 dancers at any yeah. given point where there's a musical number. There's like 60 extra people on set besides Diana Ross and Michael Jackson and you know, Nipsey Russell, who played the oh, yeah. Scarecrow and Ted Ross as the lion. Like there was a ton of folks on set. So I yeah. can imagine that this little dog was just terrified rather than in like the original Wizard of Oz. It was like the main five people, almost right. the whole movie. And then like the Emerald City, here's another like 30 folks. Yeah. No. The Wiz was a big production. So they just like gave up on that fucking dog. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where they get to the emerald city this is one of the most spectacularly costumed moments in film so this scene was shot behind the world trade center 
Oh, wow. So it's part of the World Trade Center Plaza, basically. It's the background. If you watch this film, the background lights are the World Trade Center. Like they put in like the different colored lights that they use in this scene for the windows of the World Trade Center. Like you get to see it as it's happening. And it all takes place in this big plaza that's at the beginning of it. They walk into the Emerald City and everyone are all just immaculately dressed to the nines in green in emerald of course yeah i have vision i have visions from yes. my memories and they're, of them. they're singing this song about how green is the in color green is the best i'd never wear red red is trash like green right. is the best color ever and they're doing this huge elaborate dance number right and then it cuts in this like over the loudspeaker voice it's the whiz And he says, I have decreed green is out, red is in. And then this big sound happens and all of the costumes change to red and all of the lighting changes to red. And then they go into another singing and dance sequence where they're talking about how red is the best and green is a trash color and red is forever what's going to be the best. Wow, interesting. And then like as that song is like, has been going on for a couple minutes the whiz cuts in again and is like actually i changed my mind red is out gold is in and everyone's costumes change to gold and all the lights change to gold and then they sing another song and meanwhile dorothy and the the group are all just watching this like they're getting into the song they're like grooving they're dancing around with folks and they're just like in awe of all that's happening fuck yeah they mentioned to the guardsmen, like, hey, I'm, we need to go see the Wiz. So he takes them to the gate of the Wiz. He, the Wiz, like, comes to the door or has a speaker at the door. And he's talking through this speaker at them and is like, what are you here for? What's the deal? And Dorothy is basically like, we came to see you. Like, we've traveled all this way. And the Wiz stops her and is like, Dorothy, you can come in. Everybody else has to stay out. And Dorothy, who has been timid and shy and scared this pretty much this entire movie, is like, if my friends can't come in, I'm not coming in either. And the whiz is taken aback, like, the fuck? Someone just said no to me? All right, Mm -hmm. all of you can come in. Like, that was gutsy as fuck. You guys can all come in. So the four of them, plus Toto, five of them, go in to this room where they see this big head. And it says, you have to go, if you want your wishes granted, I need something in return. I need you to go kill Eveline. And Eveline is the name of the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wiz. They gave both the Wicked Witch of the East and the Wicked Witch of the West actual names. Um, But Eveline is the Wicked Witch of the West. And The Wiz says, you need to go kill her. And Diana Ross is like, uh, I don't not about killing anybody. I was saying, like, I don't kill that's not, people. <laughs> that's not really what I'm here for. And the Wiz is like, well, I guess you're staying here then. Like, you're never getting back to New York. That sucks. Um, Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and he kicks them out. And she's like, well, I guess we have to go. So they go and they get, like you said, they get to stay in these like fancy ass hotel rooms. And Diana Ross is staying in her room and she's just like, becoming really overwhelmed she's thinking about like what has to be done to get home and 
one by one, each member of her group comes in and is talking to her about, you know, what needs to be done. And they're all kind of like, you know, I can, I can live without a brain. Like that's, I guess I don't need that. And I don't need that. And I don't need this, but Dorothy, like, how are we going to get you home? Like, we have to figure out a way to get you home. Yeah. And Dorothy's like, well, I guess we have to go find Eveline. So they grab all their stuff and they head out, start on their journey to go find Eveline. So they have left the Emerald City. They are on a journey. It's kind of in a like a deserty landscape going to the west. They know they're going to the west because the guardian of the gate basically pointed them in the correct direction. And he was just like, just keep following that direction. We now in the narrative pivot for the first time to knowing a different character's perspective so it's not an uh, it's not a first person perspective the story is third person um it is dorothy does this dorothy does that this is the first time our narration moves from dorothy and we actually get a narration point of view from the wicked witch of the west the wicked witch of the west sees the travelers coming from far off the reason that she sees this is because one of her eyes is like a telescope eye basically that she can like push out super far and like see super far away it's super gross and weird that's fucking creepy so she see and like she already has good eyesight anyway because she's a witch whatever so she already can see something is going on out there in you know the distance so she uses her telescope eye to zoom in and sees the travelers coming to her so at first she sends a huge pack of wolves and she dictates these wolves tear those travelers to pieces The wolves jump out over there. The Tin Woodsman just kills them all with his axe. He's basically like, everyone get behind me. I got this. And as the wolves come, he just hacks them down, basically. When she sees this, she's like, fuck. So she sends a huge flock or murder, I should say, of crows. And she orders the crows to peck their eyes out. The scarecrow is like, all right, I got this. He stands in front of them, and he's a scarecrow. And at first, the crows are like, ah, shit. But then one by one, the crows are all like, no, that's just a scarecrow. So one by one, they come down. And as they come down, the scarecrow just breaks their necks. Jesus Uh, Christ. And disables the huge uh, murder of crows. The third thing she does is she summons a huge swarm of huge black bees and orders them to sting and kill all of them. When they see the bees coming, the scarecrow and the tin woodsmen put their heads together and come up with a plan. And the scarecrow says, tear me apart and use my straw to cover all of you so that the bees can't see you. The only person they will see is the tin woodsman. When they try and sting the Tin Woodsmen, bees, when they sting, die because they eject their stingers. And they're like, the bees will die trying to sting the Tin Woodsman and it won't hurt him and we'll be fine. That happens exactly as they plan. 
it's crazy it's brilliant the wicked witch of the west is furious at this point three times now she's tried to kill these people and it hasn't happened and they just keep moving on so finally she is like my slaves and she brings to her her enslaved people called the winkies the winkies are the native people of this land and these are her slaves and she sends a huge group of them out to attack and kill them the lion is just like it's fine guys i got this comes out into the front and scares the shit out of the winkies and roars at them and the winkies are scared as fuck and they're like absolutely the fuck not we're not going up against that lion and they run back to the wicked witch of the west she is very angry she beats them when they come back for not listening to her and then she sends them back to their work and now she's very upset and she's very worried because four things now should have killed those travelers and it hasn't happened and they are still coming and she doesn't know what the fuck to do then she remembers she has a golden cap this golden cap is enchanted the enchantment on her gold cap brings a race called the winged monkeys monkeys with wings these winged monkeys have to do whatever she says because she is the owner of the golden cap the enchantment only covers the owner's commandments of the winged monkeys for three times we're told by the narrator this and we are told that the wicked witch has already used two of her three times that she gets to use this the first time she used it was when she enslaved the winky people to rule over the winky country the west the second time she used it was to defeat the great and powerful oz out of the western country and she has one last use of the golden cap to have the winged monkeys help her she uses the golden cap now she says like a spell and does like a ritual it says it on the inseam of the cap and it brings the winged monkeys and they're like what the fuck do you want and she's like go kill those people they go they cannot kill the lion because the lion is too much for them they also cannot kill dorothy because when they come to her they see immediately that she has the seal of the good witch of the north's kiss on her forehead and they're like shit we can't touch her so they cannot kill her either and she has toto in her arms so they also cannot touch toto what they can do is they tear apart the scarecrow and throw him into a bunch of trees basically and they take the tin woodsman and they carry him to like a ravine and they like basically drop him into a huge rocky ravine and he just like tumbles and breaks apart and is all damaged then they carry Dorothy and Toto and the lion to the Wicked Witch of the West. And they're like, we followed your commands as much as we could. We couldn't harm these people. Uh, 
especially Dorothy, because she has the kiss mark on her forehead. At first, the Wicked Witch of the West is very shocked about this, and it's kind of worrisome that she that Dorothy has this mark on her forehead, but she quickly kind of recovers, has them imprisoned. Her, her plans for the lion at first are to harness him like to draw her chariot basically she thinks like aha everyone else has horses that draw their chariots i'm gonna have a lion cool cool unfortunately the minute she tries to approach the lion in his little you know pen prison pen he is fierce as fuck and snarls and tries to rip her goddamn head off and so she can't even get near him so she's like fine if you're gonna be like that i'll starve you and yeah, you'll you'll see how fierce you are when you're you're dying for some food. Then you'll do whatever I say. Unfortunately, this doesn't work for her because every day we're told later on, she comes and is like, You hungry enough yet? And he's like, No, I will fucking kill you if you come into this jail. <laughs> because Dorothy in the middle of the night every night is sneaking to his pen and giving him food. Dorothy, by the way, and Toto she decides to make them her slaves because when she sees Dorothy, she knows that she cannot kill the little girl because of the seal on her forehead. But Dorothy has the silver shoes and she really wants those silver shoes. She's like, all right, I'm going to enslave this little girl and I'm going to try and figure out how to get these shoes off of her. The reason she has to try and figure this out is because Dorothy never takes the damn shoes off. <laughs> the only time she takes the shoes off is A, when she is sleeping in the middle of the night, and B, when she bathes. This is a problem for the Wicked Witch of the West because apparently, number one, she's afraid of the dark. <laughs> so she cannot sneak into Dorothy's room in the middle of the night and take the shoes. And two, when Dorothy is bathing, the shoes are next to her, and the Wicked Witch of the West is even more afraid of water than she is of the dark. She has to try and scheme a way to get the shoes off of Dorothy's feet. She essentially just comes up with the plan of tripping the little girl so that when, <laughs> when Dorothy trips, the shoe flies off her foot. She makes an invisible bar with magic in the middle of the floor and is like, Dorothy, go get that thing over there. And has Dorothy walk across the floor where there's this invisible bar on the floor and Dorothy trips. One of the shoes fly off. Uh, by the way, at this point, BTW, they've been enslaved for over a month at least. Jesus. She trips Dorothy. Dorothy, one of Dorothy's silver shoes flies off of her foot. The Wicked Witch of the West picks it up and is like, ha-ha, it's mine now. She only has one, but eventually she'll get the other one, right? And Dorothy is like, what the fuck, bitch? Give me back my shoe. And the Wicked Witch of the West is like, no, absolutely the fuck not. And Dorothy is like, dude, that's my shoe. Give me back my fucking shoe. And the Wicked Witch of the West is like, bitch, what are you going to do about it, basically? And Dorothy is just so fucking annoyed that she picks up a bucket of water that she's, like, been using to, like, wash stuff or whatever and flings it at 
the Wicked Witch of the West because she's so fucking annoyed. She's like, you know, like throwing a drink in someone's face is essentially the same energy here. Dorothy just picks up a bucket of water and throws it on the Wicked Witch of the West, not understanding apparently what the narrator knows. And we learn very quickly, water is a huge detriment to the Wicked Witch of the West. It is her downfall. She's now been doused in water and she is melting and immediately is like, what have you done? You killed me. Oh my God. How'd you, you must've known that this was going to be the end of me. And Dorothy is actually very shocked at this because how the fuck would she know anything? She was just pissed as fuck because she lost one of her shoes. And she's just like, I'm sorry, question mark. And these are the last words of the witch, which I have to read because they're just great. Well, in a few minutes, I shall be all melted and you will have the castle to yourself. I have been wicked in my day, but I never thought a little girl like you would ever be able to melt me and end my wicked deeds. Look out, here I go. <laughs> That's it. That's hilarious. And she's dead. The ones in the movie are much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so that was a lot. We covered a lot. Now we got to co- go lot. back and cover it in the movies. <laughs> so in the 1939 version of The Wizard of Oz, they leave the Emerald City and they're on their way to find the Wicked Witch. They their travel is very short. It's very minimal. They don't like there's no extended travel scene because this whole movie has basically been them traveling, walking and walking. It's like the Hobbit. They just walk and walk and walk and walk. Mm -hmm. They roll up on this mountain and they notice that it's where the witch lives and they start to climb this mountain and it's treacherous, of course. And they get to this point where they're looking over the mountain and seeing trying to figure out how they're going to get in how what they're going to do and the witch without a magnifying glass eye just no knows that they're coming she can see them she doesn't have like a telescope or anything she just like (laughs) they're fucking coming for me like i gotta send out some something her spidey senses are tingling her spidey senses are tingling in the original or the old movie there is no wolves no crows no bees no winkies they took all of that out they didn't bother with any of it they were just like all right the witch has minions and they're fucking flying monkeys i haven't mentioned them yet but they've already been seen once before um in the scene where dorothy and the scarecrow meet the tin man originally the flying monkeys pop up and wreak havoc a bit you know, they shoo the monkeys away, basically, and get away, and the story goes on. In this scene, however, the flying monkeys show up, and they kidnap Dorothy and take her to the witch's castle, and the other three are just kind of stuck there. Like, the the scarecrow gets torn to pieces, um, but the tin man and the lion are just there. Like, they haven't been hurt. They're worse for the wear, basically. They put the scarecrow back together and the three of them find a good lookout area um, over the entrance of the castle because they're trying to figure out a way because now they have to go in and rescue Dorothy. 
So they're watching the entrance of the castle and we finally see the witch's castle guards, which aren't mentioned, I think, in any other version of the Wizard of Oz. This is like the only one, but they're what seemingly humans with green skin, just like the Wicked Witch. They're tall, they stand upright. They're not monkeys or wolves or anything. They're just normal people with green skin and they're singing the song uh oh we oh we oh and they're just like marching around this fucking entrance making sure that nobody gets in three of them notice the scarecrow the lion and the tin man like hiding watching what's happening and sneak up on them and try to attack them and the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow overpower them and then take their uniforms and sneak into the castle with the guards So the guards walk in, like their shift is over. It's time to shut the gates. And the three of them walk in in at the end of it. They're whispering to each other like, fuck, what are we going to do? Where could Dorothy be? We have to go find her. So they're kind of wandering through this castle, dressed as guards, looking for Dorothy Gale. Meanwhile, Dorothy is sitting up in a tower, sad because she's captured. You know, she's got Toto. She doesn't know what the witch is going to do. Basically, the witch has pronounced she's gonna kill Dorothy because she just wants her fucking slippers and the witch tries to take the slippers off of Dorothy but gets shocked like electrocuted by them because they're Dorothy's now and she can't so the witch is like well fine if I can't just like take them off your body alive I guess I'll have to take them off your dead body after I kill you like Mm -hmm. have fun like when this hourglass runs out of time that's it you're dead like I'm killing you so the boys are on their way looking through the castle trying to find her and they finally roll up on the room where Dorothy is and she's like this fucking giant or hourglass is about to run out we need to get the fuck out like this witch is gonna kill me when this hourglass is out we need to get out of here Mm -hmm. so they start to leave out of the castle and the witch is like oh shit we've got intruders in the castle and a chase scene in the castle ensues. Uh, the gr- the gang is like running around these different rooms, but they don't know where the fuck they're going because they've never been in this castle before. And they end up cornered by the guards uh, in this one area of the castle and they're freaking out. And the witch confronts them and is like, bitch, give me those shoes or all of you are dying. And she starts to kind of ensue what she's going to do to her friends if Dorothy doesn't give her the shoots and Dorothy's like no I can't I can't I was you know Glinda the good told me no I can't I have to keep them on forever I can't take them off so the witch is like fine you want to play like that all right bitch and she sets the scarecrow on fire and Dorothy is like what the fuck and she finds a pail of water that was like in the area that they're in and she throws it onto the scarecrow to put out the fire because she doesn't want her friend to die of course when she does this a whole bunch of water falls onto the wicked witch and the wicked witch melts much like in the book she has this whole like screaming yelling diatribe about you killed me you did all this you did these things and the famous line the movie says the wicked witch says is oh i'm melting i'm melting and she's just like screaming and then she falls into this like puddle and she's Mm -hmm. gone when she dies all the guards are super excited they're like fuck yeah i don't have a guard like 
we're done. Like our service is done. Bye. You guys are free to go. Like (laughs) Pete deuces. Yeah. And everybody just kind of leaves and (laughs) the group just like heads back to the Emerald city. All right. The whiz. Like I said, at the poppy scene, we took a turn. We have to follow that turn that the whiz took into the poppy scene. And remember that this is supposed to be in a big major city. Like this is New York-esque, industrial, everything's like city-like, okay? The whiz sends them on their way. Go kill Eveline. That's what you got to do. You want to get your wishes granted. So they head off. They get to a train station or a like a subway station and different parts of this subway station come to life because Eveline is forcing them to and try to kill the gang so like trash cans have teeth and they're trying to attack everybody and the subway pillar like the pillars in the subway grow legs and break away from like where they're standing This is nightmare fuel. This section of the movie is literal nightmare fuel. They're going through this subway thing and everything in this subway station is trying to attack them. Coming to life. Coming at them. them. The cowardly lion is continually stopping all of these bad things from happening to his friends. He's the one who breaks the garbage cans so they don't hurt any so they don't tear apart the scarecrow he's the one who breaks the locks so that they're not hurt by the pillars and he's the one who rescues dorothy when she's super in trouble okay so the cowardly lion does his thing they run out of that area and they run to um what is like a parking garage and they're running around this parking garage running away from i guess the winged monkeys but they're like They're much more gruesome than monkeys would be. Like imagine any 80s film that had like a prosthetic monster. Like that's what it is. It's it's like the mouth is absurd and it's moving all weird and it's just creepy. But these are her flying monkeys and they're all on motorcycles. Like they're they don't fly, they're on fucking motorcycles and they're chasing this group through this parking garage. In this scene is where the tin man uh shows that he has heart you know because sam was talking about that earlier against the wolves and the crows and the bees and the winkies all of these characters all of the main characters are showing that they do have the characteristics of that they're hoping to get from the whiz Mm -hmm. the tin man shows that he has heart he's proving that he cares for all his friends and he's taking care of them and the scarecrow proves that he has brains because he's the one who outsmarts all of them and protects the rest of the group. They hide in a trash, like a big trash can, a dumpster, and are encircled by the flying monkeys on their motorbikes and captured. They are taken to Eveline's sweatshop because, again, this is like modern day industrial stuff. So the Wicked Witch of the West, Eveline, runs a sweatshop. And all of the people who run the sweat, who work in the sweatshop, her slaves, they're all dressed the same. They all have these grotesque, like, puppety faces, like burlap sack type faces. It's very grotesque. They're singing a song, but it's like a sad, like, slave song. Like we're, we're imprisoned basically. Like we don't want to be here, but we're doing the work that we're being forced to do. And Eveline is forcing them to make clothing because Oz 
clearly, as I've said before, Oz is going through a lot of costume changes mm-hmm. all the time, right? We we were there for 10 minutes and they- Demand through, is high. The, the demand is high. They went through three full costume changes in different colors. So Eveline yeah. is supplying the city of Oz or the Emerald City with all of their costume changes. Yeah. So her sweatshop is taking care of that and her slaves are in charge of that. The monkeys bring- Dorothy and the gang to the sweatshop and she's like look bitch I want those slippers they belong to my sister give me those slippers and Dorothy's like nah bitch you can't have them they're mine I can't take them off sorry and Eveline's like okay well you wanted to do this the hard way we're gonna do it the hard way so each of the members of the gang are tied up in some way the scarecrow is on a table the first thing she does when Dorothy says no is she rips the scarecrow apart takes all the paper and pieces out of him and the scarecrow is just like it's okay like I can be rebuilt like I can be restuck it's it's fine I'm fine the next one is the tin man so they have the tin man laid down in what looks like an iron lung but it's a fucking like metal press Mm -hmm. and they pull this thing down and press flat they flatten the tin man except his head is sticking out and he's like it's okay like i'm good it was just my body like it can be fixed i'm made of tin like who gives a shit yeah now the lion they have strung up by his tail and no that's gonna hurt his spine yeah so she pulls the lion up by his tail and he's just hanging there and the lion's like i'm all right like I'm good. Like my tail's strong. I'll be fine. No. And no. so all three of them have this is where my like fur parrot comes out. I'm like, no, cats' tails are so important. <laughs> yeah. So all three of them have reassured Dorothy at this point. Like, it's okay, Dorothy. I'm right. fine. Like, it's all right. Just don't do not in. give her the slippers. And Eveline is furious at this point. She's like, okay all right you forced my hand bring toto Mm -hmm. bring the dog and she threatens to throw toto into a furnace dorothy is beside herself because not only is toto her friend in oz dorothy has been her companion in the real world as well like Mm. dorothy is her fur baby or toto is her fur baby she's freaking the fuck out and dorothy is just like okay 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 i will give you the slippers if you do like just don't hurt my dog right eveline's like okay you can get the rest of your friends give me the fucking slippers so she goes to rescue the scarecrow or to walk over by the scarecrow and like fix him up before she gives the slippers and the scarecrow kind of whispers to her and like hey dorothy dorothy look up there look up there look look up Mm. and she sees a fire alarm that would set off the sprinklers she's like oh shit so she's continually talking to eveline about like giving her the slippers trying to convince her and you know elongating the conversation elongating the conversation she's talking to the scarecrow as well she's like standing on a table trying to get like parts of the scarecrow down and then she's like bitch and she pulls down the fire alarm and it sets off the sprinklers I shit. Now, just like in the other two versions of The Wizard of Oz, when the Wicked Witch of the West gets wet, she melts. 
So Eveline melts. Now, because they're in a sweatshop and everyone was clearly slaves, when Eveline melts, all the slaves' bonds, their magic bonds that were tying them to this sweatshop are breaking. And we see this transformation scene into an another one of the greatest songs that have ever existed in musical theater. And we get the song, Brand New Day. All of these characters in this sweatshop, they have been dressed to the like full body coverage in mm. these big baggy red clothes and these like puppet face sacks over their head. In this scene, Brand New Day, after, the, after Evelyn is killed, they unzip their masks, which they have these Ooh. big zippers that are like across their face. It's kind of grotesque, but yeah. it's fine. They unzip their faces and reveal their natural body. And then they shed their clothes and reveal they're all in like dancers gear, basically like awesome. bikinis and like tiny boy shorts. Like all the mm. guys are in like these tiny just underwear looking things. Of course. And they perform this fantastic song and dance sequence with the you know the main four characters right. and all of the slaves from this factory incredible like the transformation scene is so great everyone is transformed and the song is over then you know everyone's thankful for dorothy and then they head back to go see the whiz just some things that uh katie mentioned like for instance when the Wicked Witch of the West sets the Scarecrow on fire. This is alluded in the book. It doesn't happen like it does here, but in the book, there are parts before this that are mentioned just here and there that reveal essentially that the Scarecrow is very afraid of fire. Like, um, that is his biggest fear like everyone has a biggest fear obviously the wicked witch of the west's fear is water and the scarecrow is basically like the exact opposite of the wicked witch of the west in that his biggest fear is literally in response to that question <laughs> uh in the book his response at one point is a lighted match he is very afraid of fire um because he's made of straw obviously yeah. um yeah he's going um, up in an instant yeah so that is um something that is definitely drawn in from the book for the movie dorothy just in the book <laughs> doused the wicked witch of the west because she was annoyed as fuck and it just so happens that the wicked witch of the west is dead now so she's like well fuck I guess we're all free now. So she goes and frees the lion and she, they both go and tell the Winkies that, hey, you guys are free now. And the Winkies are like, holy shit. Like basically as happy as the soldiers in the movie, etc., are just like, oh, fuck, we're free. You know, it is a brand new day for, you know, a whiz reference. They're very happy. They've been enslaved by the Wicked Witch of the West for a long time. And they're just like, we love you so much. How could we ever repay you? And Dorothy and the lion are like, well, we had two friends that the winged monkeys actually hurt. We would be really upset if we couldn't go and see at least if there was a way that we could help them. So the winkies are like, absolutely. And the winkies mobilize and they go out 
into the land, into their land, to find where the scarecrow was torn apart and scattered in the trees. And they find all of his bits and pieces and they bring him down and they sew him back together and fill him back up. And they go to the ravine where the Tin Woodsman was and they find his body and he is severely broken and, you know, dented, obviously, and busted up. Uh, Dorothy is like, oh no, like, do you guys have anyone that is going to fix him? And they're like, oh yeah, the Winkies are really good at tinsmithing. Like we're actually really good metal workers. That's like what we do. They fix the Tin Woodsman back up very well. And they, you know, improve him even in some areas and, you know, make him all well. They fix his axe, like his axe broke and they like make his new axe out of like gold and shit. It's great. And they love him so much that they're like, we want you to become the ruler of us. <laughs> the Tin Woodsman is like, well, <laughs> absolutely. I would so love to like rule over you guys, but we have to go back to the Emerald City first. I have to go get my heart and I, of course, have to help Dorothy. That's been our goal this whole time to help her get back to Kansas. But yeah, when I go and get that stuff, I will be back for sure. And the Winkies are like, cool, thank you so much. They start out from Winky country to try to travel back to the Emerald City. The problem is beforehand, they didn't have to travel too much before the winged monkeys had brought them to the castle. So the desert is huge between Winky country and the Emerald City. And there's not a lot of markers that tell them where they're going. And so they have a really hard time finding out where they're going. They end up getting super fucking lost. Oh, and by the way, when they had left, before they had left, Dorothy, you know, had gone through the castle basically to pick out supplies for their journey like she always does. When she had gone through the castle, she found the golden cap. She has no idea about this enchantment, but she picked it up because it fits her. And she was like, I can use this if it gets cold. So <laughs> she takes the golden cap, not knowing that is it, that it is enchanted so that the owner is able to command the winged monkeys three times to do what they need. They travel. Like I said, they're getting lost. They have no idea what the fuck to do. One of them remembers like, hey, we have that whistle for the field mice. So they use the whistle. The field mice come. They're like, hey, field mice, we're trying to get to the Emerald City. Can you help us? And the field mice are like, I mean, we know where it is. But like, if this is the way you've been walking, you've been walking backwards. <laughs> like you're farther away from the Emerald City than you were probably when you're at the castle, unfortunately. Uh, and they're like, shit. And the field mice see that Dorothy has the golden cap in her like belongings and they're like why don't you just use the golden cap to call the winged monkeys and have them take you to the emerald city and dorothy's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and they're like oh the golden cap is enchanted it whoever has the golden cap can use it to call the winged monkeys and have them do what they want them to do three times they have to do it 
just call them and they will come and you can ask them to take you to the Emerald City and they'll do it. We have to go though if you do that, BTW, because they're, you know, they're monkeys, we're mice, we just don't mix very well. We don't want to like be a part of that. <laughs> and Dorothy's like, oh shit, like I had no idea that the cap does this. How do I do it? And they're like, oh, just look on the inside seam. It probably has instructions in there. And then they run away. Dorothy looks in the inside seam, sees that it does have instructions. So she puts the cap on, she follows the instructions and calls the monkeys. The monkeys come and they're like, what can we do for you? And Dorothy is like, we need you guys to carry us to the Emerald City. And they're like, done and done. It's a long ass journey. And Dorothy is like, so uh, how'd you get like connected to this enchanted golden cap? Because there's nothing else to do to pass the time on this long-ass flight besides talk. She is actually being carried by the king of the winged monkeys. And so the king of the winged monkeys is like, well, it's a long story, but, you know, we have a long flight. So sure, I'll tell you this story. And so he tells her the story of how the winged monkeys became connected to the golden cap. The story is that long ago, the winged monkeys were a free people. They were essentially like mischief makers. They're not evil. They just like to have fun. They like to cause mayhem. They like to play pranks on people. They're like the monkeys in in the Jungle Book. You know, in real life, they're monkeys. Yeah, yeah, they're monkeys. Exactly. They just like to have fun and you know cause a little mischief and mayhem. And this is before Oz. This is even way before Oz came into the land. When they were free people, they were kind of around in the north. There was this like princess slash sorceress. Her name was Gaelette or Gaelette. And she was in love with this man um, named Kailala. So she, you know, had him with her and they were going to get married. And, you know, she just doted on him all the time and Kailala one day and was like in the forest like doing something and he was dressed all bright and kind of flashy so he was catching attention and the king of the monkeys now in Dorothy's time is the grandson of the king of the monkeys from back then so the king of the monkeys back then like saw you know Kailala and was just kind of like (laughs) Like, let's fuck this dude up because Kailala is super flashy and can be seen. So they, like, essentially just play a prank on Kailala. They, like, pick him up and drop him in a river. (laughs) And Kailala doesn't care. Kailala is totally cool with this. Like, he finds it funny and he's, like, laughing, swims back out of the river. But when Gaelette finds out about all of this, she is furious that the winged monkeys treated her betrothed like this and also ruined like all of his like expensive ass clothes and shit. So at first she wants to drown the winged monkeys. Kailala is basically like, that's a little excessive. Let's maybe not drown all of them. I'm fine. Let's maybe not do that. Gaelette is like, okay, fine. I won't kill you. But her wedding gift to her betrothed Kailala was a golden cap. And so she enchanted the golden cap so that the winged monkeys had to serve whoever was the owner of the golden cap at least three distinct, you know, services. 
And the king of the monkeys accepted this punishment because obviously it's better than getting all drowned. When they get married, obviously, Kailala is the first owner of the golden cap. And the only thing he ever does is just asks them to keep away from Gaelette because he doesn't want them to die. And Gaelette obviously hates them. And the winged monkeys are totally cool with this. And they're like, absolutely, we can do that. And Kailala doesn't ever use the golden cap again because he's a really good dude and he doesn't give a shit. When he dies, however, the next owner of it is the Wicked Witch of the West. And we know the story after that. This whole story takes the current King of the Monkeys enough time to tell Dorothy that by the time it's done, they've all reached Oz. They drop their friends off at Oz and they leave. And Dorothy now only has two instances where she can use the winged monkey's services again. The soldier goes and tells Oz that they're back and then comes back and is like, yeah, Oz doesn't want to see you right now. And they wait and wait and wait for days. And it takes forever. Oz just just was like not calling them. And it gets to the point where finally they threaten to call the winged monkeys on Oz to see what the fuck is his problem because he promised them, you know, to give them this stuff in exchange for killing the Wicked Witch of the West. And when they make this threat, Oz is like, no, no, please don't do that. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Because remember, one of the things that the Wicked Witch of the West did with the golden cap was she used the winged monkeys to help her defeat Oz and keep him out of the Western country because she wanted to own it. So he is terrified of the golden of the winged monkeys and is like, no, no, I'll see you tomorrow. They finally get to go back into the throne room of Oz. When they come in, they're all expecting to see the shit that they saw previously. They don't see anything, however. When they walk in at first, nothing is there. However, they are talked to by a huge booming voice. They're like, where the fuck are you? And he's like, oh, I'm invisible. They're like, okay, well, we're here. We killed the Wicked Witch of the West. So can you give us our shit now? And he's like, come back tomorrow and I'll decide whether or not I'm going to give you your stuff. And they're like, no, bitch, you said you were going to give us our stuff when we killed the Wicked Witch of the West. And we fucking did that. Give us our stuff. And they get so mad that the lion like just starts growling and yelling angrily and this freaks Toto out and Toto accidentally hits a like little screen in the corner of the room and the screen knocks over and behind the screen in the corner of this throne room there is a little old balding man is apparently the wizard of Oz and they're like what the fuck are you doing here? And he's like, well, I'm the Wizard of Oz. And they're like, but you're not a, like, you're just a quote unquote humbug is what they call him. We learn that he is not a wizard. He is a ventriloquist, was a gas balloon man. He was a balloonist. And one day accidentally, it flew him all the way into Oz. He is from Omaha, Nebraska. When his balloon landed him in Oz, the people of Oz thought obviously he was very magical because he had come from the sky. 
And he just kind of rolled with this because why not? And he has no idea where he is and he is trying to survive basically. So they are more than willing to follow him. So he lets them follow him. He has them build the Emerald City. He has them build his huge throne room and he shuts himself up in there because he absolutely knows that there's only so long that he can like take this con before the people of Oz like find out that he is absolutely not a wizard. So that is why once it was finished being built and he had had this huge throne room built, he, you know, created this huge aura of, I never see anyone. I never speak to anyone. I am Oz the Great and Terrible because that was the thing that was going to keep him being able to keep this con on for as long as possible. Dorothy and gang are very sad at this news and he's like you don't need me to give you all this stuff you know you have brains he says to the scarecrow like you you're very smart you know a baby doesn't have a baby has a brain when it's born but it doesn't know stuff it learns as it grows and that's the same thing for you and you tin woodsman you clearly have a heart like you you know you have compassion for you know and love for your family and friends and you know having heart isn't always a fun thing lots of people have a lot of heartache you know what i'm saying in the world and to the lion he, he he's like you know courage isn't there's no way to make you not afraid like courage is kind of about being afraid it's what you do when you're afraid that is what courage is and so all of (laughs) the people the scarecrow and the tin woodsman and the lion are basically all in response to this like "Mm, that sounds fake but okay (laughs) it's basically their response to it like whatever you say old man i still really want a physical brain slash heart slash courage and so the wizard, when he sees that they just don't understand these concepts, are like, okay, well, I will give you what I can. Just give me a day. And Dorothy's like, well, what about me? I want to go back home to Kansas. And the Wizard of Oz is like, yeah, that's going to be a tough one for me, but I will try. I, I do want to help you. Um, I'm just going to need a couple days. So just give me that. It's this kind of show, essentially. At one point, Dorothy is like, you're just a you're just a very bad man and he's like no no I'm a really a very good man I'm just a very bad wizard (laughs) is basically his response and this is kind of shown here that like he would love to help them he's just not an actual wizard he can't give what he actually promised unfortunately um but they're determined so he promises to try the next day the scarecrow comes in at first And he's like, all right, I have to take your head off to give you your brain. Are you ready for that? And the scarecrow is like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so he takes the scarecrow's head off and he puts inside the scarecrow a huge bundle that is a mixture of bran, pins, and needles. And he puts it inside the scarecrow's head. And he has now been given a quote unquote bran new brain. But when he's put this in, obviously the pins and needles are like sticking all out of the scarecrow's like head and skin and stuff. But this is obviously when his friends see it, 
this is just proof that he is now sharp he is wow. he is a sharp he is a sharp dude but um again so <laughs> so then the tin woodsman goes in and the wizard so he opens the the tin woodsman's chest and he gives him a bundle that is shaped in the shape of a heart it's just like filled with sawdust and it is a silk sewn heart it's like a stuffy it's like if a stuffed animal was just like a little stuffed heart and it's filled with sawdust and it's made of silk and he's like no you can feel the heart in there right and the tin woodsman's like yes i can Uh, like and is so excited and just like it's a kind heart right and and the wizard's like absolutely it is the kindest heart it is the you know most gentlest most beautiful kindest lovingest heart and then the lion comes in, the Wizard of Oz pulls a very intricate, beautiful bottle off of one of his shelves that is filled with this vibrant green liquid. And he pours this liquid into this huge, ornate, shiny bowl and is like, here you go, you have to drink this. And he's like, but what is it? And the wizard's like, well, it only looks like you know, something to drink right now, like a potion. But that's only because courage is inside of someone. There's Courage doesn't exist outside of you. It exists inside of you. So when you drink this, it becomes courage inside of you. So you got to drink it really quickly. And the lion drinks it up. The wizard is like, how do you feel? And the lion is like, I'm full. I'm full of courage. And the wizard is like, wonderful. It worked. Liquid courage. Damn basically yeah have another drink my dark-eyed beauty yes exactly and that is one of the things where I was like when I first read this I was like there it is that there's the whole like there's the elixir liquid elixir exactly yeah they all already had these things the scarecrow is the smartest of the bunch he's always the one figuring shit out the tin woodsman is the one that is most caring of everything he you know he can't even step on a bug without like being inconsolable he's so upset and the lion was already very courageous and was always willing to you know like tear a bitch apart anytime they were you know threatening him and his friends but they needed that tangible thing and so the wizard was like okay i'll give that to you and that satisfies them after a couple of days, he brings Dorothy and Toto in. And it's like, I finally figured out how to get you guys home. Hopefully. I can at least get us across the desert because that's the first thing we have to do. And she's like, well, how do we do that? And he's like, well, I got here in a balloon. So all we need is a balloon to get back across the desert. And she's like, but you don't have one. You mentioned that it had like gotten like messed up, right? When you had traveled here. And he's like, yes, but we can make one. Uh, mine was powered by gas, but another way that those balloons can be powered is by hot air. So we can make a new one and create a hot air balloon. And she's like, oh, okay, great. So they make a huge thing to become a hot air balloon. And they sew it all together. They have this huge send-off day. On that send-off day, the wizard appoints the scarecrow as the ruler of the Emerald City in his stead. Because now he is obviously the wisest being in all the land. 
because of his brains. The scarecrow is absolutely happy to and agrees to this um, as long as Dorothy gets back to Kansas. And as he says this, by the way, this is the exact moment where I have to mention Toto again because Toto suddenly becomes very relevant. Toto, in the middle of all of this celebration, sees a cat and is like, cat! And runs the fuck off after that cat. And Dorothy's like, Toto, come back! And she's running off to try and get her dog. The rope that is holding the hot air balloon to the ground snaps off and the hot air balloon starts floating away just as she has gotten Toto. And she's like, no, come back, come back! And tries to run after it, but it is too late. The wizard is in the hot air balloon and he goes off by himself because he cannot come back down. He has been released from the earth. Out of all of the companions, Dorothy is the last one that still doesn't have what she wants. She still has not gotten back home to Kansas. Okay, so in the 1939 movie, um, they completely ignore the idea that the flying monkeys help the gang get back to Oz. Dorothy and the gang just jump back on the yellow brick road and they end up back at Oz almost immediately after defeating the Wicked Witch. Once the witch is dead and they make their way back to Oz, they go immediately to go see the wizard. Once they are in the wizard's chamber, they are again expecting to see a giant head. And of course they don't because the wizard was not prepared for them to come back. He expected them to go die. Like he expected the Wicked Witch to kill them. So they roll up on him and he's unaware. He doesn't know what the fuck is happening. They hear his voice booming over the radio, much like in the book. They hear his voice coming like loud and clear. And they're like, well, where the fuck is he? And he's like, oh, I'm invisible. I'm the great and powerful Oz. And the scarecrow glances over and notices a little booth with a curtain. Like there's like an open curtain and a booth with a person inside who is like moving levers and like talking and is clearly making like is saying the same words that they're hearing that's supposed to be the wizard the scarecrow points this out to dorothy to the rest of the gang and the rest of the gang's like the fuck Mm -hmm. and the wizard looks from his little booth area over to the gang and sees them see him and he's like uh let me shut this curtain real quick (laughs) shuts the curtain on himself like they didn't just witness him fucking like clearly making this shit up so they pull the curtain open they rip it open they're like bitch what here's the witch's broomstick you told us to go get the witch's broomstick here it is the iconic line here that is pay no attention to the man behind the curtain yes pay no yes exactly pay no no, i fucking will no i'm definitely paying attention to this bitch because (laughs) who the fuck is this guy we killed the witch. You didn't tell us to kill her, but I mean, she's dead. Like that was happenstance. She dead now. Here's her broom. Give us our fucking wishes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like Sam said in the book, he tries to backpedal. He's like, oh, well, I didn't expect you to do this. Give me a couple of days. Like, let me figure this out. Let me figure this out. And the gang's like, nah, bitch. Like we told you we were going to do it. So now you got to do it. They leave, they're excused from the chambers for a few minutes while the wizard kind of like comes up with what to do. And then they come back into the wizard's chambers and he explains much like, just like Sam said, his 
predicament, how he ended up being the Wizard of Oz. He was originally from Omaha, Nebraska. He was in a hot air balloon, like that was his thing. And he ended up lost in the skies in a hot air balloon and then landed in Oz. And because of that became this mythical wizard. Everyone thought he was this great and powerful wizard. And he was like, oh, well, no one's ever thought I was great before. Fuck it. Now I'm great. Let me be this wizard. And he built up this grand facade of the wizard and everyone just believed it. He just hid behind the wall, didn't let anyone know his secret. And everyone's just like, yeah, that's the fucking wizard. He's great. He came in here on a balloon and he does all these great things for Oz. So Dorothy, who is like the most normal and is, like I said, Judy Garland at this point is 16. Mm-hmm. She's like, like you fucked W-G-F. us over. And like, yeah. like little kid Dorothy in the book probably didn't have the same reaction as Judy Garland she, Dorothy. I mean, she does. She's really upset. Like I said, like she's, she at one point is just screams at him like, you're just, you're just, you're just a really bad man. Yeah, you're you know? a humbug, yeah. Yeah, and so Dorothy in the movie does the same thing. She's very upset. He's like, well, the people of Oz treated me so kindly. They made me into this wizard that like they gave me the acclaim of the wizard and I just ran with it because I'm just a nobody and I wanted to be somebody basically. Here, I promised you guys that I would give you these things. So I'm going to give you these things, okay? And he gives the scarecrow his brains. The scarecrow gets handed a diploma that says he's fucking smart. Here's a diploma. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he's handed the diploma, the scarecrow like runs off this insane like math sentence about the Pythagorean theorem. And he's Mm -hmm. just like spitting out math words it makes no sense rhyme Mm -hmm. or reason like i know a lot about math that that what he said was just gibberish but it sounded like proper math so he's smart now quote unquote he he got a brain now the tin man who wanted a heart the wizard gives him a pocket watch so it's got a big chain and it's huge it's like big it's like a fucking flavor of love size yeah watch. for sure it's, it's huge. huge but it's this really big red heart shaped watch that gets to be that ticks you know so it beats like a heart and he just wears it on his chest like a, where a real heart would be so now he's got a physical heart um the lion who has struggled with being courageous is given essentially a war medal that says fucking I'm courageous and he pins it to the lion's chest like bruh you're hella courageous like here's the proof (laughs) and all of Dorothy's friends are like yay I got the thing that I wanted the wizard was so great now Dorothy has had the same realization through this that everyone else is finally coming to now that they've got their things they're like well fuck how are we going to get Dorothy back? She's the problem. This is where the wizard explains, well, I still have my hot air balloon that I came in here with. Like, all I got to do is patch it up and then we'll be on our way. Like, I will take you. I will do my best. I will promise I'll take you. And they do the same thing that happens in the book. Like, they try, the wizard is waiting um, in the basket of the hot air balloon. They're ready to go. He gives wizard title, I guess, 
the like leader of Oz title to the scarecrow because he's the smartest. Dorothy is saying goodbye to everybody and getting ready to get into the basket. And then Toto sees a cat and he runs away and Dorothy chases after Toto. And then the balloon, like the ropes that are holding the balloon snap and the balloon floats away. And Dorothy is just devastated. Almost exactly just like the book. The Wiz is a bit different. (laughs) The origins of the wizard are a little bit different. So in the movie, and I think in the book, the Wizard of Oz is a traveling performer. He's like part of a circus or something like that. That's why he like had a hot air balloon. He was like doing something that had to do with his traveling circus thing. The Wiz changes it a bit because it changes the origin of the wizard and why he had a balloon and the reasoning as to why he ended up in Oz. Dorothy and the gang, after feeding, after defeating Eveline, end up back in the Emerald City. They take this like secret passageway that someone, one of the sweatshop workers from Eveline's sweatshop, show them. And they end up in like this backdoor way to get into the Emerald City, like into the Palace of Oz. Once they're all on the other side, they're fucking confused. Like, where the fuck are we? This is like, Mm -hmm. it's just gray. Everything's blank. It's just like an empty fucking like warehouse. And they're just confused. They start walking into the warehouse and they start seeing things that are familiar. And they notice this big silver head laying on its side fucked up on the ground their initial thought is like fuck the wizards hurt something happened Mm -hmm. like why is the wizard's head all just on the ground jacked up and they keep walking into this warehouse looking area and they come across a cot there's like what looks like a bum on this cot like he's got like the ragged this raggedy old blanket that's covering him all the way up and he's just like wrapped up in a little ball and dorothy pulls back the covers and it's richard pryor this is the whiz. He is freaking out. He's like, I never expected you to beat Eveline. And he goes into the, <laughs> he goes into the whole spiel about, right. you know, I am not a great wizard. I'm just dude. a dude. Like I ended up here and everybody thought I was great. So I just fucking went with it because my life sucked. He tells this story about why and how he ended up in Oz. In Omaha, Nebraska, the man who the Wiz was before he was the Wiz, I guess, he used to be a politician, like a high, like a senator or something. He ran for Senate and lost. And when he lost, he took it really hard and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to run for the next thing down. Like I'm going to run for governor and he lost. And then I'm going to run for mayor and he lost. And I'm going to run for city council and he lost and he kept losing and losing. One day... He was like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run for dog catcher or something absurd, like just Mm. an absurd political title that his town needed. And he was like, I'm going to run for this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rent a hot air balloon, take my hot air balloon up above the town when this big like festival thing is happening. And I'm going to throw a bunch of my flyers out of the basket so that everyone can catch them. And that's going to be like how I... That's my propaganda. So he rents the hot air balloon. He gets up in his hot air balloon. He's ready to throw his things. And this big storm comes and whisks him away. And when he wakes up, he's in Oz. And everyone in Oz is so freaked out and excited. They start treating him like the wizard, just like 
in all the other versions. They start treating him like this insane wizard and he takes up the mantra of the whiz and just goes with it. He's like, fine, as long as no one questions like who the fuck I am and I just keep my shit a secret, no one will know. And Dorothy and the gang are heartbroken, of course, just like they are in all the other versions. Like, fuck, this dude lied to us. What the hell are we going to do? We already like killed a woman. Like, God damn, what are we going to (laughs) do? God damn. God damn. Dorothy, she sees how crestfallen her friends are, that they're never going to get their brain, their courage, their heart. And is like, Richard Pryor, you're garbage. The whiz, like, I just need you to shut up for a minute. Mm-hmm. And she has this heartwarming moment with each one of her friends where she explains to them, you remember this time and this time and this time on all of our adventures where you did this and this and this that got us out of whatever situation we were in? That showed that you had a brain. That showed that you had courage. That showed that you had a heart. And all of them come to this beautiful realization that they had it in them all along, just like they do in the other movie and the book. Dorothy is the reason that they do that. It's not, has nothing to do with gifts that the whiz gives them. It's just like Dorothy snaps them out of it and is like, hey, you guys had this in you all along. The whiz is just beside himself. He feels horrible that he's lied to everybody. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to get Dorothy back home he doesn't know anything he doesn't even have a like let's get in a hot air balloon and go home situation well what do we do (laughs) like like your friends had the things that they needed now we're stuck hot air balloon floats off eventually they're trying to figure out what to do here the scarecrow i believe is like call the winged monkeys you have the golden cat and dorothy is like fucking brilliant calls the golden monkey or the winged monkeys the winged monkeys come and she's like i need you to carry me and toto back to kansas and they're like we can't do that sorry she's like why the fuck not and he's like yeah we don't know where the fuck kansas is we cannot cross the um deadly desert like it's we're just not capable of doing that by the way this counts as one of the times that you get to use us so you only have one time left and then they leave yeah that's fucked up (laughs) and uh one of the soldiers with the green whiskers which i think just means like his beard is green is like you know you could go to glinda the good witch of the south she might be able to help you that's the only other thing i can think of and they're like well how do we get there and he's like just go fucking south exactly like every other fucking person in this land we're not that complicated um (laughs) they're like fair enough they prep you know the next day all right let's go to the quadling country in the south to talk to glinda the good witch of the south who is our last ditch effort to try and get dorothy back to kansas and the scarecrow comes with them the Tin Woodsman and the Lion and Dorothy and Toto because he is like, I wouldn't be in this position without you, Dorothy. You know, I would still be up on that pole. So I am absolutely going to help you get back to Kansas, you know, and everyone in the Emerald City is like, you're our king now though. So like, make sure you don't die is basically their answer. And he's like, I love you guys. Yes, obviously I'll try and take care of myself, but I have to go. I'll be back. They all go on their way. The first thing they come to is a forest. And the scarecrow, when he gets to the front line of the forest, the tree that he comes and is about to cross by bends one of its branches down suddenly 
and grabs him and tosses his ass backward. And they're like, what the fuck just happened? And Scarecrow's like, I don't fucking know. Let me see if I can go a different way. And so he goes like to the side a little bit and tries one of the other trees. And the tree immediately does the same thing and tosses his ass backward. And he's like, well, fuck. Apparently this line... The, these trees are fighting trees, basically. Them's and, fighting trees. <laughs> and the Tin Woodsman is like, all right, bitches, I got this. And he runs up. And as he runs up, the tree that he's running up on bends its branch down to try and grab him. And the minute he does that, he chops the tree's branch off. And the tree is like, and like starts writhing in pain. And as the tree does that, he's like, fucking quick i i heard it pass run run by me and they run by the tree and go into the forest um with him and only the front line of the trees of this forest are mean fighting trees uh which is rationalized in the narration uh dorothy is basically just like those of must those must have been the policeman trees wow <laughs> just i like mean she's keeping- a child keeping the forest safe basically they're Uh, angry ants yeah so they have now gotten into the forest traveling through this forest they come to a huge white wall and it is built to something that they don't really know what it is it's very smooth it's very white um it's cool and they're like what the fuck so the tin woodsman builds a ladder out of trees nearby over the wall is a country entirely made of perfect smooth china like fine dining china porcelain yes it's filled with a bunch of milkmaids and ranch animals and princes and princesses Um, these people are small by the way they have these characters in uh the great and powerful oz like this area appears in the great and powerful oz but not in any of the other iterations of movies that revolve around oz they have dropped down right next to them is this like little ranch where uh a little milkmaid is milking one of her cows and they've dropped down and they scare the fucking cow and the cow bucks and kicks its little mistress and it breaks its own leg off and it's force kicking the little maid and the maid, you know, her bucket breaks and she gets a nick in her little elbow. They're made of, they're made of porcelain. They're China. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, and the milkmaid gets up and is like, bitch, look what you fucking did. Why the fuck are you guys here scaring my fucking cow and breaking all my shit? And they're just like, we're sorry like we didn't mean to do that and she's just super upset so she just like goes away and Dorothy the next thing she sees basically is one of the little porcelain princesses so she tries to go and pick the little china princess up and the the china princess excuse me starts like running away and it's like no don't don't fucking touch me and (laughs) Dorothy's like why basically and she's like I'm not Uh, if you pick me up you might break me you saw just what happened right now we are very breakable people do not pick me up god damn it (laughs) is basically her response and dorothy is like oh you're so right i'm so sorry but just fyi i would 
I, I'd love to have one of you home. I just kind of like want to take one of you. You guys are so cute, is basically Dorothy's response. Princess is like, yeah, could you please not do that? I, I don't want that. That would make us very unhappy if you did that to any one of us. And Dorothy's like, why? And she's like, okay, here, this is where we belong. This is our natural place. We can be ourselves. The minute we leave our land, we become very stiff and we can't move. And the only lives that we have are sitting on shelves without fucking moving forever and ever and ever. And I don't fucking want that. I'm like a human being. I want to like live my fucking life. And Dorothy is like, oh shit. I absolutely don't want that to happen to you. That sounds awful. I'm so sorry. They make it out the other side of the country. And the only other thing they have broken besides the cow at the beginning is uh, on their way out. They accidentally break a church. They pass through some bogs and then they come through um, this like wild country, like a thick wilder kind of forest um worse than the ones that they've come across so far in the story and as they are walking they come across this huge meeting of random wild animals so we've seen wild animals before now in the story and obviously even animals that have been made up like the kalidas and stuff but it's made very it's emphasized that this is a random smattering of animals there's like giraffes and zebras and elephants and tigers and like random people that should not be in the motherfucking forest by any stretch of the imagination but they're here and they are all having this meeting and the lion is like hold on let me listen to them i can translate for us oh they're talking about something something is wrong. They're talking about something wrong. Let's go see if that if we can help them. And they walk up and when a huge meeting of animals sees the lion, they're like, king of beasts, king of beasts, thank you for coming. We're so happy that you're here. We, we need your help so much. We're being terrorized by this huge giant spider. The spider is apparently the size of a fucking elephant. So I it's a want she to vomit Just thinking about this. <laughs> so it, it's a it's a we're talking about a she lob Aragon Absolutely. situation. Absolutely. Got it. And they're like, all it does is run around and eat us. We there's nothing we can do. We need help. And the lion is like, I will one thousand percent kill this fucking creature for you. Be right back. The lion runs off. And he just so serendipitously happens to come across the huge ass giant spider when it's sleeping. The lion is like, hmm, and jumps on its back and decapitates the big ass spider while it's sleeping. It's literally that easy. (laughs) Hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. He comes back and is like, done. And they're like, thank you, please be our king. The lion is like, absolutely i would love to be your king but i have to make sure dorothy gets to kansas first so i will be back and they're like all right two and kings three the tin woodsman is king of winky oh, scarecrow yeah, yeah, yeah. is king of the emerald city and now the lion is king of this wild forest i forgot the king of the winky yeah i got it, got mm-hmm. it, got it. okay they keep on their journey after they've left the huge wild forest they come across this huge ass rocky mountain As they're trying to climb this rocky mountain, a little dude 
comes out from behind one of the rocks and is like, piss off. <laughs> You're not crossing this mountain. And the scarecrow is like, why? And he's like, because I don't fucking want you to. Is this, <laughs> this the gnomes? We're going to read this description. He was quite short and stout and had a big head, which was flat at the top and supported by a thick neck full of wrinkles. But he had no arms. Damn. The scarecrow is like, okay, well, sorry to piss you off, but we gotta go. And he starts walking, and the minute he starts doing this, this little motherfucker takes his fucking big-ass flat head, and he aims it forward, and his wrinkly-ass neck shoots his head out like a spring-loaded accordion or some shit, and he motherfucking bops the scarecrow off the mountain and like <laughs> the scarecrow rolls down god damn you know like like sock em, bop em robots yeah it's like sock, that sock em, sock em robots yeah there you go when he does this he just laughs his ass off and as they watch this they hear laughter coming from everywhere on the mountain and the people realize there's a bunch of these guys behind like every rock all the way up the mountain and the lion is pissed off so the lion is like bitches get out the way and he runs up on them and he gets bopped the fuck back too they are basically like okay well if the scarecrow can't get by them and the lion can't get by them then we're fucked dorothy is like i guess i'm gonna have to call the winged monkeys he uses the golden cap and calls the winged monkeys and is like i need you guys to get us over this mountain into quadling country and they fly the group over this huge mountain the winged monkeys drop them off into quadling country and they're like this is the last time you get to use us and dorothy's like i know thank you so much and so the winged monkeys leave when they come to the castle there are three girl soldiers standing guard at the gate and they're like we're here to see glinda the good witch of the south and the girls are like absolutely come on in they bring them in, they clean them up, kind of in the same vein as what happens in Emerald City. They take the group to Glinda. And Glinda is a very beautiful woman, we are told, who has flowing, vibrant red hair and blue eyes. And she greets them all. They ask her, you know, to take Dorothy back home to Kansas. And she says, I can tell you how to get home to Kansas if you give me the golden cap. And Dorothy is like, sold. I can't fucking use it anymore anyway. <laughs> I just used my last, you know, favor for the golden uh, cap. When she takes the golden cap, before she talks to Dorothy about going home to Kansas, she asks each of the others in turn, what are you going to do after I take her back to Kansas? And they're like, oh, I'm going to go rule the Winky Country, the Emerald City, the Wild Country. And she says, this is why I'm taking the cap. I'm going to use it once to take you, Tin Woodsman, to Winky Country, once to have them fly you, Scarecrow, back to the Emerald City, and once to fly you, Lion, back to your wild country. And then I'm going to give the golden cap back to the king of the monkeys so that they can be a free people again. And they're like, oh, shit that's a great idea. Like you're an actually good witch. Like you're a good fucking person. And she's like, thank you. Now, Dorothy, this is how you get home. Wish that you had come to me in the first place, but 
it's all right. I could have told you from the get-go that you could have gone home the very first fucking day that you dropped here because your silver shoes will take you home. All you have to do is click your heels three times in these silver shoes and tell it where you want to go. The silver shoes will take you there in three steps. And Dorothy's like, well, shit, awesome. I'm going to go right now. And she hugs all of her friends and they're really sad. It's really cute um, and sad, but she hugs them all. And then she knocks her heels three times and says, I want to go the fuck home, basically. And instantly her legs start moving with the shoes. She walks three paces and she's whirling through the air And at the end of her third pace, she is suddenly flung forward and she rolls onto the grass of a Kansas prairie. And when she sits up, she is directly in front of her own Kansas prairie homestead. And Aunt Tim and Henry are in the front. And Aunt Em runs up to her immediately and is like, my my little girl, my little girl, where have you been? What have you done? And picks her up. And Dorothy, you know, says something very childish about what she had to deal with. But her passing final line is, of course, I'm so glad to be home again. She is stocking feeted. After the shoes took her, they flung off of her feet. And they are now, as the narrator told us, lost forever in the deadly desert. And that is the end of The Wizard of Oz. Okay, the movie... Skips a bunch. Most, <laughs> skips most of that. Both of the movies skip most of that. In the 1939 version of The Wizard of Oz, the wizard had just floated away and Dorothy is just fucking devastated. Everyone's devastated for Dorothy. Out of thin air, a bubble is seen floating towards them, getting bigger and bigger as it gets closer to them. Soon that bubble is human size and it pops and inside the bubble was glinda the good because i'm sat in a freaking bubble sorry because glinda the good travels by bubble she speaks to dorothy and she explains to dorothy the way for you to get home is so easy like let's all you got to do is think about home and wish that you were home and then click your heels three times together and you'll be home Dorothy says her goodbyes to all of her friends and then she clicks her feet three times together and says, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And this like whirlwind happens. Everything changes from the beautiful technicolor of the land of Oz back to black and white. And she wakes up laying down in her bed in Kansas. She is surrounded by... Aunt M and Uncle Henry and the other people who work on the farm, the other workers of the farm. She wakes up out of what I can only assume was a fucking coma from this <laughs> twister that she was sure. in. And she proceeds to explain where she's been, why, you know, how, why she wasn't here. And Aunt M is just like, girl, you were in a coma. Like, <laughs> it's not fun dream. Like, like, it's fine. You're fine. <laughs> and, and Dorothy is like, no, I was in this land of Oz. And she starts pointing to the people who work on the farm. You were there and you were there and you were there. And we get a good look at the, the other people who work on the farm. And of course, 
it's the same people who played the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion wicked witch of the west who she defeated was played by the antagonist of dorothy's life in kansas a neighbor mean to her dog she was yeah she was a neighbor of dorothy and she didn't get along with toto like toto just kept messing around in her yard and Mm -hmm. the neighbor was not a fan so she became the wicked witch and we get to see that it was all presumably an elaborate dream sequence um to the adult eye it's meant to be like oh yeah like she was in this this whole situation in the beginning happened where she was upset with the neighbor and then this tornado happened and she passed out in a coma and then she dreamt up all of oz and then to like children it's like no she actually went to oz and all these things happened so that's the cool thing about the 1939 version of the film they do get rid of like the tin man and the the lion never become kings of anything um so that's basically how the movie ends they just bring Belinda the good to the emerald city they're like hey she's here in the whiz dorothy has just finished telling all of her friends hey you had heart all along you had courage all along you had a brain all along glinda the good appears at her side she basically like but does she do it in a bubble no <laughs> so glinda the good in the whiz is made of star stuff and she is basically like the north star she is on this big backdrop of black with like other stars all around her in this big beautiful dress she's dressed like the blue fairy from pinocchio is what i liken the situation to on the wall there are baby dolls dressed in the same blue like fairy type costume that are meant to be other stars so there's all these like good witches that are in the stratosphere that are just like watching over what's happening when dorothy reassures all her friends that no you're okay you did good you were a great person you know all these things she comes down and glinda the good tells dorothy you want to get back home all you have to do is wish for it in your heart and click your heels together three times dorothy sings a reprise of this song called uh home beautiful song beautiful solo by diana ross talking about how much she misses home and how much she wants to be home she says goodbye to her friends clicks her heels magically ends up back in new york the movie abruptly ends right here like she ends up back in new york with toto in her arms in the middle of a blizzard end of movie there's no like she gets back up to the top like into her apartment there's no her telling Aunt M, like, I decided I'm going to call, like, I'm going to go to take this other job. I'm going to move yeah. out finally. I'm going to grow up. There's none of that. They're, they don't finish it off. They're just like, she's back in a snowstorm, in a skirt. Fuck it. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know if the actual musical ends that way because I've never seen the Broadway show, but I would imagine it was cut for time because the Wiz. Potentially, yeah. The Wiz movie is like, two hours and 40 minutes long jesus i mean yeah. it's a it's a musical so right you know elaborate dance sequences and costume changes Some and fucking set, lord like, of the Rings shit that is the end of the whiz and the wizard of oz from 1939 that was two movies slash the book so yes. now 
I'm just going to finish us off with a little bit of discussion of some of the the surrounding logistics of the book publication and the impact of this story. In January 1901, George M. Hill Company completed printing the first edition of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. This was a total of 10,000 copies and it very quickly sold out. By the time it enters the public domain in 1956, so 55 years later, it has sold over 3 million copies. Before the movie, over 1 million of those copies had already been sold. The book's illustrations were created by W.W. Denslow, who was L. Frank Baum's friend. This was a time when commercialism, because industrialization was happening, so there was this huge boom with the popularity of this that brought about a commercialist market's wet dream. The font was commercialized, the style of the decorations and the characters, and etc. There was jewelry made for the Wizard of Oz, clothes and toys, sculptures, even soap. There are stage and film productions of this galore. Let's talk just a little bit about the influences on this story. Obviously, this is supposed to be a fairy tale, and Baum obviously directly acknowledges it's influenced by, of course, you know, Grimm Tales, Hans Christian Andersen. The influence on Dorothy as a character, there is a woman named Jocelyn Burdick. She's a former Democratic U.S. Senator from North Dakota. She's the daughter of Baum's niece, has reported that it's probably her mother that was the inspiration for Dorothy. However, the biggest influence on Dorothy or understanding of the influences on Dorothy is Balms had a niece of his own named Dorothy. Unfortunately, she died in Bloomington, Illinois at five months old. And her gravestone has a statue of the character Dorothy placed next to it. Oz, in terms of uh, influences, scholars really often refer to um, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, the quote-unquote white city, as a huge inspiration for the Emerald City. There are some critics that have suggested that Baum may have been inspired by Australia, why he created the land as the land of Oz, because it was a relatively new country at that time of the book's publication. And it was often colloquially spelled slash referred to as OZ, Oz. Like Australia, Oz is a land. It has a great desert, but also a bunch of other different climates in it. You know, he wanted to write a quintessential American fairy tale. That was his huge thing. He wanted something that had a quote, unquote, recognizable American elements in it, such as farming and industrialization, which to me is just very problematic um, because that's not like quintessentially just American or anything like they didn't invent farming and industrialization. But Rip Van Winkle had been published by this point. Sleepy Hollow had been published by this point. Like uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is the first quintessential American fairy tale. But that's but what it, L. Frank Baum wanted it to be. It definitely became a quintessential yes. American fairy tale. Yes, for sure. Unfortunately, I'm going to burst a lot of people's bubbles here. And I'm going to talk about some really unfortunate um, facts about L. Frank Baum. Because this is a great story. 
a lot of it stems from L. Frank Baum's uh, identity as a racist and an American exceptionalist. L. Frank Baum is Lyman Frank Baum. He was born on May 15, 1856. He died on May 6, 1919. He was born and raised in upstate New York, an unsuccessful theater producer and playwright for a while. He and his wife opened up a store in South Dakota at one point to sell stuff. He was an editor and publisher of a newspaper at one point. <laughs> and then he moves to Chicago uh, and he tries to work as a newspaper reporter there and published a bunch of children's literature there. And that is where he first comes out with the first Oz book in 1900. And then while he was continuing writing Oz books after that, he decided to also try and be a movie studio producer in Los Angeles. So yeah. when he was in Aberdeen in the Dakota Territory, he and his wife, opened up Baum's Bazaar, and this was in July of 1888, but eventually he had to declare bankruptcy for it, so he then purchased a local newspaper and turned to try and edit these types of columns about politics and things like that, and he, in this time, publishes a bunch of super racist shit about Native Americans. A really bad subject, so sorry, not sorry, trigger warning. After Sitting Bull dies, Baum publishes an article saying that we should kill all Native Americans in a complete genocide. Yikes. <laughs> ah, on December 20th, 1890, on January 3rd, 1891, says this again. This is in direct response to the Wounded Knee Massacre. <laughs> It's just really bad. Essentially, he's like, well, we've been assholes to them for centuries now. They're never going to forgive us. So the only way that we should be able to do this, you know, and live peacefully is we're just going to have to kill them all. And it really shouldn't matter because they are untamed and untamable creatures. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. What a trash <laughs> I person. I was not joking lots of people have tried to argue that that's not who he was you know he was he was a satirist and he was very sarcastic there's no way he was that bad of a person you know he was a huge feminist which he was and there you know there's lots of scholarship all about like his wife for instance was a huge feminist and like they tried to do a lot of work to like kind of um advance feminist um ideals and things going on in politics and you know in the communities and that they lived in and things like that and that's absolutely true um however he was you can be multiple things at once and this is something that people just need to accept you can be someone who has good moral values and good and a good moral compass in some subjects and then be an absolute shit person about other subjects and those two things can and do coincide in humans all the time and you you just have to accept can't just you know it's much easier for us as lazy people to say okay well this person is a good person and this person is a bad person and the truth is, is it's just, just not like that um there are lots of people in the world that are going to do great things and good things but will be bad people in other areas of their life and that's just how it is and you just have to ultimately judge them based on how much good they did in the world versus ultimately how much bad they, they did in the world and 
none of it negates the other. Just because they did a whole bunch of good things in the world doesn't mean that they weren't also doing a whole bunch of really awful things in the world. And just because they did all those awful things doesn't mean that all the good things that they did should be thrown away or should be forgotten about or, you know, they shouldn't be, you know, their legacy shouldn't be continued on. You should always take the good things that human beings produce and build on them without saying that the person who created those things can now never be criticized for the awful shit that they did. That is what discourse needs to be in terms of cultural changes. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox now. Anyway, this is the reality of it. He created a beautiful, amazing story and world, but he was also a racist fuck man. And it's great that we didn't listen to the things that he said and didn't completely finish the genocide of Native Americans, not even necessarily that we didn't fucking try, which that is in itself an entirely different conversation. Let's talk finally about just some fun, interesting things about The Wizard of Oz. I have so in many. Terms of- <laughs> <laughs> the film had a lot of different things about it that were questionable, like I already mentioned. Uh, the asbestos was used for snow. Judy Garland was slapped. Not great things because it was 1939. A bunch of these facts have to do with the makeup department. Let me just preface this by saying the makeup department did a wonderful job. Now, like I already mentioned, the lion's costume was a hot fucking mess. Like it was made out of a real lion and it's just heartbreaking and horrible. The Tin Man's paint is aluminum based to make him sparkly now the person who plays the tin man in the movie is not the original person the original tin man was supposed to be played by the um, older man from the beverly hillbillies he filmed like the first month or so of filming and then he got sick from the aluminum face paint that they had put on him And he had to be put in an iron lung. So they took him out of the film. The scarecrow face makeup was made of rubber prosthetic, a woven pattern in it so that it looked like burlap. So there's a bunch of close-ups on the the scarecrow when he's talking and you can see it moves like he's got all these lines on his face and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The stuff that they used left fabric lines on his face. Like, you know, when you sleep on a pillow and it makes like dents in your face? No, no. It left lines on his face that lasted over a year. What? Here's probably the worst. Like the iron lung was pretty bad. That that's yeah, it's fucking that's bad. It's incredibly bad. awful. Okay, but here we're. I think this is the worst one. I think there is a scene towards the beginning of the movie when Dorothy lands in Munchkinland and she's talking to all the people and she's getting ready to go on her journey to go see the Wizard of Oz. The Wicked Witch of the West pops up in that scene and is like bitch give me those slippers those are my sisters and then she like does this like flourish with her hands and this smoke happens like this big smoke screen happens and then the witch disappears so there was a problem her makeup which was Mm -mm. fucking copper based what the fuck (laughs) caught on fire and she received second and third degree burns. And oh was, my God. And, and had to miss six weeks of production because of it. What the fuck? Yeah. 
like mishaps galore and just horrible makeup situations that they couldn't figure out what to do. And Holy shit. So not only did she get burned as fuck, and then right after, like, as soon as that happened on set, she had, they had to, like, clean all the makeup off to stop, yeah. like, to clean the burn and everything. So they clean her up with, like, alcohol, essentially. And Ooh. just, it hurt like a bitch. Yeah. She came back to filming. They finished up the film. And after the film, her skin was stained green for at least of six course. months. Because oh of the, the type of paint, it's not good. Now we're going to get into some uh, some other things. Other fun, other, I wouldn't say fun, other facts about the film. Interesting okay. facts. Interesting facts, yes. Okay, the wizard's coat, they wanted it to look like it was worn and had been, it's not, it's not supposed to be pristine. They went to a thrift shop and bought an entire rack of coats. And then they brought it back. They picked out the coat. They like went through all the coats picked out the coat with the actor that was going to play the wizard was like okay this is the one mm -hmm. so he puts it on and they're filming a couple of weeks into filming the man like out turns a pocket and finds a fucking label and finds out that this coat was a custom made jacket made for l frank Baum. What? like how the fuck that's pretty crazy actually so yeah holy shit so they contacted the man or like the company that made the coat and l frank Baum's uh widow mm -hmm. and like to to figure it out and they both agreed yes this was his coat so they filmed the rest of the film and when it was done they presented the coat to his wife okay i mentioned earlier when they got to the wizard or to the land of oz to the emerald city they have to ride in a carriage to go from like the gates of the emerald city to where the wizard is in the movie like if i were to watch this now if i was a kid and didn't know anything about post-production of movies and how movies used to be made back in the day i would just assume that this was done with photoshop like they put it in they like cgi'd some shit and that's how they made the horse pink and that's how they made the horse yellow because right. the horse changes color as oh as they're going through this thing. On the set, they actually dyed the horse's fur or hair no. with jello crystals. So they used like cherry jello and like lemon jello and whatever to make the different colors. And they had to shoot them very quickly because the horses would just lick them off. So they oh. like so they, so they like rubbed this jello into the hair of this white of this white horse and then they filmed it really quick and then they had to wipe it down and then rub this yellow jello in and then <laughs> it's just That's a mess really cute yeah because these horses were just not having it they're just like, they're just like thanks this is for delicious. the fucking snack yeah yes. it's basically a fucking sugar cube like thanks. oh my god That's okay amazing adriana casalotti if you don't recognize that name, I'm not surprised, but she was the voice of Snow White from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs by Disney. That movie came out two years before The Wizard of Oz came out. Adriana Casalotti actually has a line in this movie. During the song, If I Only Had a Heart, she says, wherefore art thou Romeo? But mm -hmm. she was paid a thousand dollars for that one line, wherefore art thou Romeo? Get it absolutely i'd be like yes you will give me a thousand dollars for a second of my life yes one thousand percent yes okay now keep that in mind she was paid a thousand dollars for her one line according to lead munchkin jerry marin the 
quote unquote little people oh no were paid $50 a week for a 6 day work week while Toto the dog was paid $125 a week shut the fuck up oh my god i'm so mad right now yeah yeah <sighs> all right yeah so snow white was paid $1000 and the munchkins were paid $50 for 6 days that's like fucking bullshit okay that's a lot to process okay i've got a few more <laughs> and then i'm done i promise judy garland could only work for four hours a day because she was 16 child labor yes. laws and she had to go to to school at least a certain amount of time a day the day that judy garland died there was a tornado in kansas what the fuck so like that's a fun fun fact and crazy to think about judy garland's daughter actually married jack haley jr who is the son of the scarecrow what so what? harburg and arlen who were the composers mo- some of the most famous songs of the 20th century these two men wrote and they wrote it in 14 weeks bang that shit out for, for those an of entire you who, score, that's yeah. That's for those of you who very don't, short time who don't like think about music production and how it's all done, and no one can do that. That's not a thing that happens. Insane, Crazy. especially for how enduring the music is. Like it's not like they took fourteen weeks to write a shitty score. They took fourteen weeks, and the score is iconic. It's yes. you know everyone who's ever watched it remembers it can sing it all yes of that stuff. it has stood the test of time for sure there are infinitely more facts if you are interested in learning more about the wizard of oz i highly recommend watching absolutely dvd that has special features there's like a hundred hours of fucking extra special features that you can watch there's, but there's just so much there is there's a lot of different um, yeah the only big fun fact i have about the wiz i'm gonna read you the cast and if you were around in the 80s or are aware of people who were famous in the 70s and 80s you will recognize these names so of course diana ross was dorothy gale michael jackson played the scarecrow which i said and then we had richard pryor as the whiz the tin man is played by nipsey russell the lion is played by ted ross Eveline, the Wicked Witch of the West, essentially, is played by Mabel King. Aunt M is played by Teresa Merritt, who, even if you don't recognize that name, you probably would recognize that face. She mm-hmm. also played the maid in the movie Billy Madison. Glinda the Good is played by Lena Horne. So there's just like okay. a ton of people, like famous people, all across the movie The Wiz. The score was done by Quincy Jones and a bunch of other people involved in Motown like they all worked together and made this big production Joel Schumacher he was involved and did a whole bunch of stuff for this film he was part of um handling the choreography and dealing with getting the costuming um and if you don't recognize the name Joel Schumacher I'm gonna ruin him for you right now and tell you that he was the one who gave us Batman and Robin so Mm. Joel Schumacher oops (laughs) (laughs) but also thank you yes because as oops as that movie is it's also the one that i remember the most fondly of those batman movies yes it came out at just the right time for us (laughs) right 
Yeah. So that has been The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, The Wizard of Oz by MGM in 1939, and The Wiz by Motown in 1978 someday we will cover wicked and return to oz oh and we will absolutely that you can count on it okay you have like two minutes to come up with a seven word synopsis for wizard of oz and all right the whiz yeah let's say you covered several um okay yeah. so but the whiz the wizard of oz and the movie the wizard of oz are pretty close right little girl in a strange land helps <laughs> okay okay just helps <laughs> she just helps everyone and that's for the wizard of oz yes okay tornado blows girl away shoes <laughs> bring home there you go <laughs> there you go that's not for the wizard of oz it was definitely just- not conventional english not conventional i had to get rid of like six words there gets the message across yeah (laughs) i needed more words i needed i needed like to make it a real sentence like she bring her home or help her home like there's too many there's a lack of words there okay now for the whiz (laughs) okay okay got it wizard of oz but make it black there you go that's right oh my gosh that like brought the house down shit i don't know if i can top that (laughs) fuck all right uh modern day wizard of oz with mj yeah (laughs) celebrities would work too there's just like yeah yeah i wouldn't say i wouldn't necessarily say modern day but definitely yeah, I was it for, for its time, it was modern day. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. Yes, modern. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to Susan Dorda for our cover work. Uh, thank you so much, Susan Dorda. You can find her work at susandorda.com. That's S-U-S-A-N-D-O-R-T-A.com. Um, of course, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at Allentown Pod. You can email us with questions, comments, concerns at AllentownPresents at gmail.com. Or Woo. you can find us on Facebook at Allentown Presents. And thank you so much for listening. Yes. And wherever you are listening, please, if you enjoy us, uh, please rate us and leave us a review on whatever um, podcast app or platform you're listening to us on. Um, If you're listening to us on one like Spotify, for instance, that doesn't allow you to rate or review, that's okay. Um, But if you do, that's fine. Yeah. Following us on social media helps in that case. But if you do listen to us on a platform that allows reviews and ratings, they uh, help us incredibly in terms of boosting um, our algorithms for being seen and things like that so it is a way that you can help um and it doesn't require you to do anything except do a few clicks on some stars so thank you yes thank you so much for listening bye